Everybody and welcome to the 26th episode of the AVB Galaxy podcast. This is your regular host, Corporal Hicks, or Aaron Percival, and uh, with me is my regular sidekick, um, the Ying to my Yang, the Brett to my Parker. It is Ridgetop. <laughs> Hello again, guys. And joining us again is um, Xenomorphin. Hi, guys. And bringing up some uh, culture. To the AVP Galaxy podcast is the Italian stallion Omega Zilla. <laughs> yeah, I am. All right, and well, today we're going to be talking about Alien Resurrection. Um, you know, it's it's not something I don't think we've ever really addressed before. You know, we we don't tend to do specific ones on the films, but of late it seems to keep something seems to seems to keep pulling me to it, and um. I think it stems from the Alien the Archive book, um, which was recently released, which was like a big behind the scenes on, on the series. And I got to Alien Resurrection, and then I stopped. I couldn't be asked to read it. So it got left a while, I came back to it, and I started reading it. And it just fascinated me, because of all this stuff that was being said in the book, how they had a good time making the film, how it was easy, how it all went well, there was no interference, whatever that they released a film that doesn't work for so many people. And it just made me want to... It made me want to do a podcast. made me want to do something about it. So, here we are, episode 26. Talking about AVP... No, talking about Alien Resurrection. So, the, the obvious place to start here is... Um, is a story. So, Whedon was approached to write, write this, Joss Whedon. Who uh, we should all know now is... Um, you know the legend behind the Avengers, and um, Buffy, Angel, Firefly. Angel, yeah, uh, Fire, Firefly. It was gone Cabin too soon. In the woods. Yeah, yeah, Cabin, Cabin in the woods. woods, which apparently is is looking at legal action for that though. So we'll we'll avoid that one. He's being uh, <laughs> accused of plagiarising. Oh. But you know, at the time he would have been doing Buffy. So you know, you look for people writing strong female characters. Which you know is what Alien always was. Then, then Whedon seems like your man, doesn't he? Just off that assessment alone. Well, I think at the time he'd done the movie of Buffy, which wasn't nearly as good as the. Um, oh, I'm sure he was doing the show TV at that point. I think, I, I think he was starting to do the TV series when Resurrection was being made, actually filmed. I, I could be wrong on that, but he was ma- known at the time for doing the movie version of Buffy and um, doing. I don't know if he did script doctoring or he did the whole thing of um, Toy Story. I think he wrote Toy Story, I was under the impression he'd wrote Toy Story. He hadn't done any sci-fi at that point, though, right? He he would have done the Buffy film. He did, actually. I've just recorded a cartoon, Titan AI. Oh, Titan AE, even. Oh, I didn't know he did that one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Resurrection was the first sci-fi, properly sci-fi film. Uh, we don't had had written. 
And you can see that he made the foundation of some of his Firefly. favorite tropes. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the Space Pirates crew is the genesis of the Firefly crew, which he did not realize until a fan pointed it out to him. Really? Yeah. He he. I, it was at a convention or somewhere, and someone said, "Oh, do you realize that the um, the Betty crew were basically." the same kind of character template as you came up with for um, Firefly and he literally had to kind of like look down he went oh yeah you're right I didn't realise that so <laughs> it's something he like subconsciously did without realising it but you know I think when when you realise it it's very obvious that the, I mean you've got like um, Ron Perlman's character he's basically um, Adam Baldwin's yeah. character yeah it's like in Resurrection an unexpected benefit of the writing <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, it, it wasn't always it wasn't always Ripley. Um, no. Yeah. The first yeah, Whedon's first draft didn't include Ripley. The studio producers told him to include Ripley because they thought the audience wouldn't follow the movie anymore. Which is actually a problem I have with Fox overall. They don't think Alien can stand on its own without Sigourney Weaver, which. Uh, which I think is quite damaging view to take on it, but that's that's something else. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Um, but but with with Ripley being forced on him, and um, him having to find some way to bring bring Ripley back, what did people think of cloning? What did you guys think of using that story element? Did it work for you? I don't know if it really worked that they just had some blood sample laying around and for 200 years they couldn't clone her. I think it had to be done if you wanted to set that story that far after Alien 3 and bring Ripley back. There's no other way in a sci-fi context to do it. I think the film would have been stronger without her. So, I mean, yeah, it, it works, but it works kind of flimsily, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there are two things two ways to look at it. If you look at it logistically, it doesn't really work, because if they want to get the alien back, there's always the pieces of the alien laying around, the mm. face hugger. Uh, but thematically, I think it's, it, it makes for a, for a nice progression, because in the alien, she, she, Ripley, she, um, she meets her fear. In, Aliens, she overcomes it. In Alien 3, she kills it. In Alien 4, she, in becomes, Alien Alien, she becomes her fear. And it's one of the better things about the movie because it plays around on, uh, she's more alien in her, in her mind or more human. There's this unease throughout the movie. I think it's one of the better aspects of it. Oh, I completely agree. I love Ripley 8. I do. Yeah. I love the character. I love the um, the elements it brings for for Sigourney and for um, and for the for the writer for Joss to um, to explore. I don't know. Think it's quite done to the full extent that I would have liked to have, it to have been done. But I do think that is is easily one of the best elements. Yeah. Um, I, I think and originally I'd never seen a draft. I, don't, I know it's not in the public domain, but. Originally, his idea was in, it wasn't going to have Ripley. It was going to have, a, yeah, it was going to be a cloned version of you. Now, I'm not going to poo-poo that idea because I don't know what the original story. There might have been a perfectly good reason for mm. they needed Nuke for whatever reason. I don't know, but 
It was just a treatment, though, from what I remember. They never actually scripted that. Well, yeah, but it, it would have. St- it might not have had, you know, the intricate detail, yeah. but there would have still been a story there. Um, I'm interested in seeing that draft because, as a Buffy and Angel fan, I would love to see if there are any kind of the way he wrote uh, and presumably adult version or teenage version of Newt, whether she would have been like his characterization of Buffy. I don't know. I'm just interested in reading it for that alone, but. With Ripley, um, I think you've got to remember this was not too long ago that Dolly the Sheep was cloned. Yeah. Um, so it was very much in the public imagination. I know that Whedon said he tried a bunch of all different ways, and the only one that worked was clone Ripley. Um, I do remember, at the time, um, people like Sil on Desen will probably remember this, there was a book called Dissecting Aliens. Yeah, um, I do not that. think it's available now, but I remember there it was got reprinted, interview. if I remember. Right yeah, I, I, I tried getting a hold of it, I couldn't do it. Um, I know there was an interview with Whedon in there where he is actually asked, well, do you want to make... Because that's coming back into vogue now, you know, is Alien 3 going to be made a dream? Because after Alien 3, there was this big commotion in fandom, you know, is the next film going to make Alien 3 a dream and it's not happened or what? And he was actually asked that, so he did have the choice, but he said, no, as far as I'm concerned, Alien 3 definitely happened. So I won't go down that route. Cloning is the only way to go. Now, would it have worked better without her? I honestly think Sigourney Weaver's portrayal in that film, the, the vaguely schizophrenic way she brings the Alien forth, is one of the best things about the entire film. I just love watching Weaver's, um, you know, she's been in the production of the films for all that long, but the way she, she doesn't overdo it, she does it just about right. And I would have actually liked it if that is she or isn't she kind of mental barrier would have been blurred a lot further mm. through the film because there's this point where she kind of like, she just switches to being Ripley, as we know her. The thing I really liked about Weaver's portrayal was that predatory instinct that she had going. As I say, I would have liked it if the film had blurred that line a lot further into the story, but um, the way it happened, would it have been, as a story, just as workable without her? Yeah, it would have worked, but I don't think it would have had that... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Shit... <laughs> Weaver's portrayal really engaged me, I suppose I could say, in a way that, you know, Winona Ryder's character, uh, uh, most of the characters didn't engage me on that level. So I think it would have been a straight A to B to C story mm. without Weaver there. Um, it could be seen to be, yeah, she's got superhero powers, but within the context of she it's has so alien identity. DNA, it works. Mm. So yeah. For me, it worked. Okay, good. So, cloning... We're happy with this. This is a way to bring Ripley. Yeah, it's science fiction. It's not yeah. like it was a radically new it's, development. Well, it's, yeah, it's like you were saying um, with with the cheap thing at the time. I mean, Alien's always been sort of grounded-ish in reality, yeah. and at that point, cloning was a reality. I mean, Jurassic well, Park hadn't come out too long ago. True, true. Just to kind of specify, I didn't have a problem necessarily with the fact they were cloning her from blood that they found on on Fury 161. I mean, that's entirely plausible, especially in a sci-fi context. But 
the main kind of iffy thing for me was the fact that they could clone a chestburster that was inside of her through a blood sample. Like, I mean, would the alien rewrite her DNA or well, something well, like that? That's the implication, or... though, isn't it? Really, that the alien affects the host on a genetic level at that point. I mean, the the book. I'll we'll we'll talk about the book in a well. I will um, talk about the novel in a bit as well because that sort of addresses that kind of thing. It is considered at least by uh, AC Crispin. But yeah, I mean, as as far as you were saying, I think even though her character uh, itself felt kind of forced in there, what she did with the character, the whole uh, human-alien hybrid dynamic, I thought was really interesting. And, and I definitely agree. It was one of the, the best parts of the film, how she played that character. And I do think they could have gone further with that. Yeah. Okay. So that's that basic hurdle out the way. Well, I'll just before we go on, I I understand that thing but i think for me i would have been right there that yeah that sounds a bit bullshitty when you're trying to create chestburster but there is that whole scene where she does see you know all these failures that they've been trying and even with their massively advanced technology they still weren't able to do it right i think if it hadn't been for that scene yeah, i would have yeah. totally agreed but there is it's it's just about ambiguous for me to say yeah it's science fiction it's in the future i can i can ride with it Again, that those failed clones, you know, the the blending of the alien and the human elements, again, go to show that, um, you know, the 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 crossover is implied at that level, you know, yeah. and it becomes that complicated to separate the alien and the human. And in fairness, we we don't know how a chest burst to host. You know, I, I was assuming as soon as they had that in the story, I thought, right, well then, therefore, the chest burst must be using the host's blood as a kind of filtration system. There might be like yeah. trace DNA, and maybe that's why it took so long to get that trace DNA to a usable level. But um, because they don't go into it, it's not like in Prometheus where they they say, oh, well, there's a DNA match. It's exactly it's so hand wavy that you could say, well. They did it somehow, and it's it could be doing anything because we've never seen or heard how a chest burster is meant to grow. I mean, if you've got trouble with the um, that they managed to get a chest burster, you've also got to say we've got trouble that how is something able to grow from the size of, size of a snake to eight, nine foot tall in, what, under an hour or so? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you've watched Alien, you already know it's got to be in that ambiguous level of plausibility yeah I, I guess i could buy that and at the same time they couldn't uh completely separate the um the genetics because they still share each other's traits yeah which was a key element of, of where we took it um actually before we do sort of move on a little bit it sort of brings me to another point because obviously fox had mandated that Whedon needed to have ripley and in Near enough, a single line, he hand waves away so much possibility of past. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the expanded unit, I know not many people tend to take it seriously, but, you know, that was was a time frame that other films, spin-offs, whatever, could have explored. And yeah. I think that is probably the biggest wound to me. Um, burned them at the stake in yeah. just one line of time. I know. So the, I, the, I, I understand why, why it would needed to be done. I understand... You know, if why would they have gone through all that trouble if they could have just popped back to LV four twenty six and picked up an egg? So I do get why it was done, but there's a gaping hole in my alien heart that hates that he did that. Um, 
Did that ever bother any of you guys? Yes. You mean that he said it in the future, or that he got rid of the Whaling Utani Corporation? Well, no, no the, to well, to it. do what Fox wanted him to do, to have a reason for this for the United States military to go through all this ball ache to get Ripley, he <laughs> got rid of the derelict. He got rid of the idea that these aliens oh, could be yeah. elsewhere. You know. Yeah, I, yeah, that did kind of bother me. <laughs> it's all right. Blomkamp don't care though. <laughs> and that's that's the attitude going forward. Well, I think that's the thing. As, as long as if Blomkamp does reintroduce colonial marines or Wayland Utani, as long as he doesn't make them out to be, you know, moustache twirling villains, I'm okay <laughs> with it because it's like um, that's as long as it's done right. That's what matters. But yes, that did bother me too. So just to get that out there, we had to get that before we moved on from story. Yeah. It, it just the the problem is once you watch that, it, it's like with to a degree you could say it's the same kind of emotional response you see when you see like Hicks and Newt get killed right at the beginning of Alien Three. It, <laughs> yeah. it feels like it squanders the potential of something that you know it could have gone any number of ways. And by Whedon having that one line of dialogue, you think. Like the space jockey, we can't ever explore them now ever again, and it's mm. just you, you do kind of inwardly cringe. Mm. I mean, would it have worked? I think it would have worked just as well if you just hadn't mentioned it, because then you could say, well, in a sequel, you could say, well, they, yeah, they could have gone back to LV forty six, but we don't know why, and they could have. <sighs> I suppose this gone still into another could, story. There. Really, what was what was the line again? Um, for all... Ripley destroy yeah. it all intents and purposes. She wiped yeah. out the species. I, I mean, I mean, the the novel yeah. talks a bit more specifically about it. You know, the derelict was destroyed and by the atmosphere processor blast. So, what I want to talk about now then is Whedon as a writer. Okay, I I love Avengers, both of them. They're fun. They're good. I love Firefly. And it is criminal that that show never, never got the life it deserved. And they all suit him well because they are all, you know, the comic book films. It was his own creation. Yeah. I was never a massive fan of Buffy. I'll put that out there. But that's purely because I'm not too into the fantasy. I'm not really into the vampires um, kind of thing of it. And Spike's hair was ridiculous. I'm going to say that now. <laughs> but so I like Whedon. I genuinely enjoy him. I think his work's good. I think it's fun. But coming back to my comment earlier of unsuitable, I just don't think his style worked for the Alien films. Because it's too comical for me. Yeah, I, I rewatched Resurrection last week as part of a little rewatch. And, you know, everybody always describes it as, um, as a dark comedy. And there's loads of attempts of humour in there. And I think there's probably three or four lines that actually got me to laugh. As much as I enjoy him and I enjoy his work, I just don't think he had the right style for an alien film. What well, about you guys? Especially at that time. Mm. To be precise, most of the dark comedy stupid scenes are Junaid's yeah. ideas. Yeah. Uh, the main defect in Guidon's script was the dialogue. I grade some of the drafts. Uh, at a certain point, the Stefano says something like, I'm sorry, sir, but it's my fuck. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally the, the dumbest line I've ever seen in a script. It, it, so I'm glad the movie sort of deviates from the script. At the same time, um, bringing in some comic elements that 
really didn't work. For, for me, the comic elements were around Ripley and her attitude that worked. Anyway, stuff like, um, I thought you were dead. Yeah, I get that a lot. I um, like that line. Yeah. And, that um, well, so when, she's, dead when she's talking to Jonah as well. Um, yeah, I heard you run into these things before. What happened? I died. I, I love yes. the deadpan humour with Ripley. And that, that's pretty much the, uh, only elements that really work for me in terms of the comedy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's bits later. When she's with Carl in the, um, in the chapel, fuck me, that made me cringe. Are you the new asshole model they're putting out? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, some of the aliens do have, do have, um, humour in them. But it does tend to be a non... It's not going, hey, look at me, I'm trying to be funny, um, kind of humour. I think a lot of us, also with the visual style, in the way of filming the the scene, because um, Junae loves using the steady cam, and uh, there was, there's always this camera movement, uh, forward, backwards, and that's also gets some kind of comical effect going on. For example, when they go inside uh, Furby's yeah. throat and, and he's screaming and then just you see the close up, the close up, or when Reese screams and there's this uh, close up from the end yeah. of the corridor yeah. to Reese's face in your face, and it yeah. it doesn't kind work of over the top. Yeah, and compared to uh, the um, mostly static. Uh, shots in the other movies, with the exception of the running shots of mm. the of the runner. Not the runner earlier has these POV shots, and they are about the only real um, dynamic shots. But the other movies never had these uh, random, almost almost random close-ups. Uh, one very uh, absurd example of this is the beginning of the movie where they. They slowly pan out from a bug, and it's really silly. I'm glad they, they removed that beginning of the film and they replaced it with that morphine scene with all the details. Yeah. Of the See, I love that. I love that opening. I think that is a great yeah. opening that sort of plays more on what makes Resurrection work, which is that. Exactly. Well, the director preferred that one. He said he came yeah. up with the other idea when it was going to like a pitch meeting, and then they said, well... It's going to cost too much money, and so he had to do it the morphing flesh way. And he said on the commentary that he he vastly, you know, approves of the morphing flesh idea now, you know, since it came around. He had to say to people, oh, my God, you know, they replaced my idea. But it said secretly he vastly prefers <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. But um, back think... to Whedon, um, he does have this very comic book style of writing. And he can, for those of us who have watched Buffy, he cannot write the military, which <laughs> um, he does it in a very over-the-top, cheesy, yeah. superficial parody, almost a stereotype of what the military is. And um, you also see it a lot in like the Marvel films where he does with where he's, he has to bring in an element of the military or something, and it comes across like a comic book version of the military. That's very much present in this film. Um, the humour yeah. problem, um, I think, is a mix between Whedon and the director. The problem with the humour yeah. is it's not just that it can come across cheesy. It's that it's often inappropriate. Uh -huh. um, you have that beautiful scene where Ripley does 
and up, like nightmarishly beautiful, where she encounters these clones of her, you know, her fail, the failed attempts to get her to life, and they're all, you know, these grotesque abominations, and she finds one of them that's still alive, and she has to effectively carry out a retroactive abortion on herself, and it's a really emotionally powerful scene. It's one of the scenes I most like about the film as a whole, yeah. and she comes out, and Ron Perlman character, he says. Must be a chick, chick thing. thing. Yeah. And I just think, what the fuck? And I just cringe every time. Mm. And yet, Sigourney Weaver, she, she's at all credit to her. She just carries that emotional heaviness past that line. And I think she, that's, yeah, that's right. She, she hands, um, Dr. Wren the gun. But, mm. but even after John has, he said that line, she, you know, the, the distraught trauma still on her face. She's just carrying it through. So there are little things like that. And I know that, um, I've got some quotes here from the director. He says he ca- he actually he hates horror movies. Um, I despise them. I could never make a film that is dark and bloody. So when I did Alien Resurrection, I made it funny. Um, maybe people expected it to be a horror film. I don't know, but I can't make him, um, something like this. And he, he also says, just recently I saw Alien Resurrection again on French television. I was sitting there thinking to myself, oh, no, 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 you put in far too many jokes. It's too much. You did not know when to stop. So... The guy obviously retroactively realises he did mistakes in it. Whedon, when I've seen a very recent oh, interview God, with yeah, Whedon, he just complains said, all the time. Yeah, he said before that he blamed the direct, the um, editor. But in the recent interview, he said, oh, the casting was wrong, this was mm. wrong, that was wrong. And he says everything was wrong except for his writing. And, <laughs> yeah, there's some good parts that he wrote, like those lines you mentioned and how he has Ripley come to term with what she is. That's really well done, but there's so much else in it, which it's not an alien movie. It's a comic book movie, and that is Whedon's problem. In fairness to him, he has improved, but he still does have those flaws. When you look back on Alien Resurrection, you can see you know, he does this flaw, that flaw, but he does certain little things that have germinated into good writing, but... The fact that the, um, the director does have that need to insert over-the-top humour every now and then. Or on some things like the breath analyzer for the, the locks. Oh, I hated that. That was meant to be a joke, but it's actually, it, I think that year or the year after, it actually, somebody did actually make something like that. And I, I thought, oh, brilliant, that's come out of <laughs> Alien Resurrection. But to me, that didn't come across as very jokey. That actually came across as a, an actual, you know, when call brings that little um, bottle of, like, um, the general's breath scent or whatever it is, analysing... How, how the fuck would they have captured that? Can I, I just interject know, at this point? Does, is... Somehow they did. And I thought her spraying on the door... Yeah. I thought, oh, that's a clever way of, you know, she, it's not using, like, a fingerprint or anything. I thought that was actually quite clever. It didn't come across to me as a joke. But there's a lot of this stuff, like, almost every murder is carried out with a gag at the end. You have that horrible death of General Perez where he just kind of like feels at the back of his Mm. skull which has been caved in by an alien and he just looks at it and I think he he salutes or he just turns around and it just, it came across so appallingly over the dump but at that point you're you're thinking to yourself, is it trying to be a horror or is it trying to be a comedy? If it's trying to be a horror it's not working on a scary level if it's trying to be a comedy it's not working on a jokey level it's and you just had 
Whedon's flaws compounded by the director's need to insert humour mm. on every little thing. And I think it's one of those films where you think to yourself, this could have benefited by having certain lines of dialogue or clips taken out. And then when you look at the deleted scenes, like the chapel scene, you think that deserved to be yeah. in there so much because that was beautiful on Whedon's behalf and the way it's shot. It's beautifully shot and it's a beautiful piece of writing where Ripley is, she's talking about new and you are the viewer, you know, she's talking about new. Um, but obviously cool. At, um, Winona Ryder's character, she, she's never heard of her, but the way she describes you and her motivations for saving humanity, you completely get why Ripley, she, I think she says that she, every time she sleeps, she's, she's always perpetually having nightmares. And you get that glimpse into why her mind is working the way it is. Um, but you do, it, there are scenes like that, like when she's facing her clones and John has done that terrible, must be a chick thing line, or like um, earlier was referenced about he shoots that spider. It just comes across like a cartoon. And, uh, and just to point out, hang on, before we move away from that, but the scene that uh, you know Xenomorphin was talking about with um, with the clones and that emotional reaction from Ripley from Ripley Eight, that was the scene that convinced Sigourney Weaver to do this film. Yeah. So you know, and Sigourney's likes to play she she likes good moments and stuff like that so that that was a good enough scene for her to go yeah i'll do film based on that that bit alone please and i feel i don't know but i do get the sense every time she's watching that and since that came out you know you had the um director's edition of you know alien and do you see the way she reacted when she had to um set um dallas alight it's mm. very much played out the yeah. same way, and I don't know if she did that deliberately. She looked, she thought back on how she originally did that scene that was never, it kind of never saw public light at the time. But it, to me, there's that kind of subtext of. I think everybody you know, knew about that, that by that point. Using the flamethrower on Dallas. I think that's a, it's an interesting thought. I do think everybody knew about that at that point. I'm pretty sure the deleted scenes yeah, were. Yeah, how many people had actually seen it though? Well, no, but it, it was it was talked about quite often. Okay, it was talked, but you never saw like Sigourney the Weaver actual performance. Right. No. Yeah. About uh, Perez, that uh, Eric said about the silliness of it. There was a deleted scene in which um, Perez is sucked out of a hole in the hole, mm. and it was much sillier because. Because he first gets um, sucked out through his back. It's very much in the. You uh... can see you can see uh, the videos ADI posted on YouTube, mm. and he he, ju- he gets sucked out uh, out of his back hole. And it's... oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought he um, just felt like the newborn. Yeah, yeah. It was originally ma- meant for the um, for for General Perez. Uh, I know that, but I didn't know that he gets the first part of him that gets sucked out is his mom. And it, I, I, I saw the video and was okay. The, the movie version is much better. Uh, <laughs> the movie version I hate. It's it's basically the my least favorite scene in the movie. It can be um, excited from the movie. But it's much better than this one version. It's like it's 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 almost a parody stroke mockery of characters like Parker, who you know you've seen, and it's a really believable, horrible way to go out. And yet you have this scene, and it's 
it's just played for laughs. There's no other way to like interpret it. It's just played for laughs, and it kind of it devalues those characters who you actually had a yeah. vested emotional interest in, and it it's, it kind of highlights how superficial General Perez is. Which is a shame because when I first saw him at the start of the film, I actually thought, "Oh, he's quite a pragmatic, hard-edged character. He's a bit like um, General Spears out of the original um, comic series." Um, but when you, you know, as time went on, and then the death just it catalyzed it. But it's the problem with it; it devalues those other characters' sacrifices and deaths who you actually felt for. And it was just, it just, you know, it's the equivalent of like a custard pie fight. <laughs> Uh, so as I said I liked Whedon I also like um, Jeanette I really do Um, Amelie I think is one of the most gorgeous films I've ever seen Um, as well as being charming and all that sort of stuff City of the Lost Children which had um, been what he'd done as well as Delicatessen um, but it was City of the Lost Children which he'd done before Resurrection which really sort of made, you know, uh, made Fox go, ooh, this guy's got a good eye. I think it was a wonderful film. I Granted, it's been some years since I've seen that, but I really enjoyed that, and I do think that it was a gorgeous-looking film, very sort of steampunky, um, and having Ron Perlman in it as well as the only guy on the set as well that didn't speak French, wasn't a native-spent French speaker, was genius casting. And I love him. I absolutely love his, his stuff. He's another talented guy. But like we've, we've sort of touched on, his style, again, didn't gel with an alien film to me. Mm. Um, my biggest issue was was with those um, quick quick movement, quick zooms. during Yeah. Com- during, um, yeah. 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 And it, they do it later on. There's... Um, I think they do it a little bit in the in the fight scene between Ripley and uh, the Betty crew in the in the gym. There's some fast zooms. And I a... love that scene. It's a good scene, but Baseball some of the camera scene, movements as in a it. whole, I really liked it. Mm. Um, you had a lot in that scene where it's actually uh, like a textbook example because Ripley, I think she has very few lines of actual dialogue in that, but it's a textbook example of how to convey. Character. Um, a character's personality because yeah. it's just how she's reacting mm. to things it's just like um, Christie's trying to hit her in the face with a, a big like metal weight thing and or she's kind of like tilting her head and just avoiding Confused, it yeah. but she 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 isn't striking him back she's just kind of like acting like a semi newborn herself and it's a textbook example how to convey a character's personality by actually saying little but not having them do these kind of like um superhero you know glares or anything she's just being like chatted up by ron perlman's character she probably doesn't actually even understand the concept of sex but she's she's i think she's a little bit smaller than him i don't actually remember but he's kind of like looking down at her and getting in her personal space but you just by you the viewer watching it you can tell she is in total control of that situation just by like her facial expression she's just bouncing this ball just quicker quick 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 and then she i think she shoots it through a hoop or something but i think I, I don't know for sure, but I would think she's doing that in the same way like the motion tracker was um, simulating like a human heartbeat, because you get this kind of like dynamic. Well, that, that's a diegetic sound, though, that was. 
that that was very much um you know a mirror the the heartbeat get you yeah. physically reacting to it yeah i don't i don't think the intent of the baseball stuff was was it, that it might but... be. it's just like one of those things that came to mind but it's just masterfully done and that was i would imagine most of that wouldn't have been in the script that would have no. been just like sigourney weaver perlman the, the director working out how to play this scene by just having you know just looking at one another and reacting to them so i really love the way that scene in particular was directed but in in terms of character um, camera movement for that kind of thing, that's stuff I I didn't think worked too well in terms of those quick zooms. And there's there's another one later on where I can't remember where it is, but Ripley's splayed somewhere, you know, arms ready, ready for action, quick zoom, and <laughs> it, it didn't work for me. I mean, I, I know Omega Zilla didn't like that kind of stuff as well. Um, yeah. But what about you, Ridgetop? What did you think of Jeanette's style? Did you like him before? Is there anything in Resurrection that you like, don't like, in terms of um, how he uses the camera. The the only other movie I saw of his was Amelie, and I really enjoyed that. But um, it was interesting. I was watching the documentary of the making of the film last night, and he was really confused when executives came to him about making the film. He was like, why do you want me for this type of movie? Yeah. These aren't the movies I do. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it was different for him, um, but I, I kind of think the movie got some of its charm from his kind of weird uh artsy style i just think there were a couple things uh the camera zoom shots of of course they were a little ridiculous especially when um after call gets discovered and the military comes in and the scientists all mad and then they have a little fight sequence there and and christy pulls out his guns oh, and there's this weird well. zoom yeah. shot right at his face and it's <laughs> I, I hated just, the ricochets as well from that fight. Yeah, that that was a little cheesy too. But um, overall, I really liked Jeanette's style. There were just a couple. I think he just didn't have the experience as far as uh, a sci-fi tone goes um, to really bring it to its full potential. But but overall, I think he did a fine job with the material he was given. I, I do think that uh, any resurrection is better viewed as sort of a part of Junei anthology film because it shares a lot of visual clues with the city of the lost children not only in the camera style but also in the uh, production design the the interiors of the Auriga are very alien-like you can definitely see that yeah. as part of the alien universe um, also considering that it's 200 years later but um, they're sort of very kind of steampunk-like at the same time, and it really brings back to the technology used by the scientists in the City of the Lost Children, the machines used to drag the dreams of the children. And I really think that they are very close, visually speaking. I just think with as far as the design of the spaceship itself goes, I think it had really interesting rooms like the recreation room and the chapel. Yeah. Um, but I think the hallways were a little too bland. It looked like they were just reusing the same drab green and brown hallway. Which they were. Um, they were. Yeah. yeah. What they did. <laughs> and I, I think I, I really like the steampunk future style, and I think something that did it really well was the. Um, the Destiny, which is a spaceship in the TV series Stargate Universe. That oh, ship was very I'm getting rusty, steam, again, 
<laughs> rusty steampunk looking and it it worked great so i think the rooms of the ship worked much better than the hallways and that that might sound nitpicky but uh, i just think they could have done a little bit more with the crew actually walking through the ship the ship design was something i was never i again i thought was unsuitable and um let me just explain why but you know alien you have this used and battered and abused tug that's probably well past its sell-by date it's all held together with sticky tape and brett's glue and uh, gum and alien you have this prefabricated colony it looks like it was brought from space ikea and slapped together and it works in the context you know the military stuff is all very militaristic and it works alien three it looks like an old battered mine which it is and refinery it looks it all looks the part but you come to alien resurrection and for me, the thing was, it was it was two hundred years in the future. This thing it supposed looked to like be, a sewer. Yeah, it, it's supposed to be a top-notch scientific facility, and yeah. to me, it didn't look the part. It no. it looked dirty. It looked like something that um, the Nostromo probably used to haul around every now and again to whichever lowest bidder was who could buy it. It again, it didn't feel suitable for the context of the story. In in its defense, I love the exterior design of the ship itself and the model work they did with that. I thought all the flybys of the planets and stuff that the ship did looked extremely good. So the outside of the ship, the design of the, the thing itself was pretty solid, I thought. It was going to look very different. Originally, it was going to be vertical, yeah. yeah. They actually yeah. Can't, I don't know if they... I think they modified it slightly and they turned it on its side because it had to be filmed in yeah. widescreen. Yeah, it didn't work very well going past the camera and stuff mm. like that. I think it would have been it would have worked if there was that scene between um, what was his name Elgin and um, General Perez where he says oh well this isn't exactly improved by Congress I think it would have worked if there'd have been a line of dialogue there where Perez had said well yeah we couldn't use any of the you know the the ships in the inventory we had to get um, uh, like a second hand ship or or something oh, like that yeah, so, moth yeah some moth yeah exactly something that was used and they've kind of patched it together just to hold this small experiment on it um but it, it's like you say it works for you know an an alien film lighting wise because you do have those very alien like corridors um but as you know it's all meant to be you know, we're not Wayland Utani, we're not the colonial marines, we're better than that. We're we're funded, we've got budget up through the roof, and they're using this old shithole of a spaceship, which as I say, <laughs> does look most of the time they're going through it, it hasn't got proper lighting, they couldn't even afford you know, light bulbs it looks <laughs> like, and it looks like a sewer. And right at the end, or this is, you know, to do the creature design, um, Giga says that, you know, his designs by the end of you, they look like you know, turds, and you look at the even the cocooning stuff, and it mm-hmm. looks like a sewer, like a water treatment plant. But whole well, shit. It was a sewage. <laughs> it was, yeah. was a sewage place. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just walking through all the stuff that they're just mm. walking through just to get the Betty, it looks like the same place that the Queen, the Queen is just like, you know, there's resin there. That's the only difference. Aside from that, it looks, the whole thing looks like a sewer. Mm. And it just doesn't, you don't have this feeling that. You know, Hudson saying, yeah, this is state of the art on board the APC and that you, you get the feeling that if they wandered in, they'd be 
having the same re- um, response that Jonah has, where he says, oh, Earth, what a shithole. He'd be looking at the Auriga and going, oh, what a shithole. I want to go back in the cryogene. <laughs> What about you, Amiga? What do you think about the design of the ship? Uh, I think the outside, you know, it has this ribbed look. It, um, it reminds me of the old uh, Galactica ship. Yeah, uh, yeah okay, I can it's, see that. It's very streamlined, four engines, and it, it has this ribbed texture. Uh, I also like the interior, um, because, as I say, it has this rust look. One thing I don't get is why is there steam everywhere? Because yes. uh, <laughs> I get the ship is malfunctioning, but why is there steam everywhere? In every fucking corridor there's steam, 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 steam. steam. I mean steam. But yeah, uh, otherwise, otherwise I do like the um, visual style because it, it does look like it belongs in the alien universe, but at the same time it, it looks like an evolution of what you saw in the previous three movies. What I go- don't get is the steam. I hate the steam. <laughs> See, the thing is, when you watch Prometheus, you think to yourself, 200 years from the time that, of that, Eve, That's what the arena should have looked like. Yeah, that's what it should have looked like. Um, but you... <laughs> Because you have this steampunk time of rusted old... Th- I mean, not so much at the start, because you do have, like, very shiny corridors, but certainly when, you know, the emergency has been triggered and for some reason everybody switches out the lights, it, it does look very lived in and weathered and beaten up. And um, you, you just think this is meant to... That's... I, I think they should have said, you know, why they had the need to say, 200 years into the future. I think if they'd have done, like, you know, it's 50, 50 years into yeah. the future or something, you could have bought, oh, well, maybe it's a ship that was older than the Salico or something. But because of the way it looks, yes, it it fits an alien story, but it doesn't fit the a context of the story. Yeah, exactly. If, like, lighting-wise, yes, but story-wise, no. It, sh- it should have looked much more like, you know, Ridley Scott's Prometheus ship looked like. Okay. Also, I don't get why Ripley's kind of prison cell she wakes up in doesn't look like something a medical research vessel would mm. have to house one of their, you know, their top-budgeted living experiments in. It, I, well, I don't know what the, it was meant to be, but it looked very... Well, weird. I suppose they didn't expect to keep her. Right. Yeah. I assume that's what you were going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is. They, they left her alive... Yeah, but it's it's like a medical. What is? I think there is something like on the little readout at the beginning of the ship where it says USS Auriga Medical Research Vessel or something. You'd expect them to have some sort of like hospital area. Yeah, you'd have thought, especially because you know they're literally they're 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 teaching her as an in an extended period of time like a child. So obviously she's you know she's presumably she's handcuffed. Yeah, but she's presumably earned the right to be interacted with like another human being. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the uh, uh, replace chamber because it it looks like uh, some kind of uh, uh, room you'd put test subjects in. Yes. She's she's uh, as she, as she says she's the new thing. So they're mm. keeping her around just to see what a uh, clone like that looks like. Um, I don't mind it because it it looks like a confined environment um, that. They can observe her in through the mm, top. You, you know, the top has this glass, glass. for which people 
blue. In fact, when we first see um, Ripley in her sack, it's from a top view, beside you, and there's the someone's coat. You see, that that was a good shot. Yeah, I really yeah, like that. It was that. an excellent shot. I love all the um, static shots of the movie. Uh, Ripley's rebirth sequence is one of my favorites. You know, all these fade outs, fade ins, and as she moves around in, in this set, and it symbolizes her rebirth. That was a very good thing. Although I suppose, that in some ways, I mean, we're talking about, in some ways, the interior and exterior design of the ship is suitable and unsuitable. It does have that kind of. <laughs> kind of coincidentally lends itself well to what Blomkamp could be doing. A very kind of like weird, just in terms of like the directing style, it does have a kind of a weird dream-like quality about it, I find. Yeah, well, I suppose that's more from Jeanette's very sort of airy kind of yeah. style from that. I mean, a lot of it does seem like he's shooting this scene just because that's the way he likes it. He's mm. not thinking in terms of necessarily yeah. is it logical to do A, B and C he's just doing here's the way I see it in my head I just want to you know film it that way which, which is, is nice when the director yeah. sort of knows what he wants to do I mean there's a massive there's a storyboard script um, I forget who did the storyboards whether it was actually Jeanette himself or what but he, he did, did some like thumbnail sketches yeah. and then the storyboard artist and the, he, like interpreted them it's the entire script was already storyboarded yeah. Before it, I've got a copy of it actually, um, which I really ought to scan up. I've had it years, but I've never actually, I never dared take it apart and read it. But I really should scan that up for the <laughs> website. And you know, he's, he's very much like Ridley with his Ridleygrams. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he kn- he knows what he wanted to do, and he was pretty much. Th- this was one of the things I I find really interesting is there was these talented guys. He had his he knew what he wanted to do. Fox wanted him. Fox left him alone. The book says, well, I say left him alone. There's obviously some little bits of don't spend so much money, but by yeah, and large, yeah, by and large, he he was left to his own devices and he was doing what Fox wanted, and what Fox wanted and what he wanted was just not necessarily what everybody else wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I find it quite interesting that way because for me, Alien Resurrection is very much the antithesis of Alien. You know. All these talented people came together with Alien, and um, you know there was some trifles and horrors, and they made a really good film out of it in the end. But for Alien Resurrection, all these talented people came together, and it was very little interference, and it was a film that not everybody liked. Yeah, I I, I find that that comparison quite fascinating, actually. Like in um, Alien. And aliens, they both have these scenes where, like, the colonial marines or Parker and the crew, they're kind of like having this kind of like very blue collar, understandable, relatable humor early on in the film. And then as soon as the shit hits the fan in a way that they realize it's really hit the fan, they are, you know, any of them can have a very unenviable end. Or, well, I suppose in the case of Alien, they don't even know what the end would be but they do not want to be in that situation that's when the humor stops they clamp down they start having this you know the tension rises as a result of the characters realizing this is not a jokey situation anymore in alien resurrection it's like they haven't learned that lesson and that's i think that's a big part of why you aren't 
as engaged by the characters and you're not you're not feeling their situation as much because they're not taking to it an seriously. extent yeah it, or even when they are the director isn't taking it seriously mm. because he does have those weird kind of like crash zooms and all the rest of it where as he says he can't do a horror film he feels the need to insert humor into it whether it's a, like a i was going to say a an over-the-top level or not, but a lot of it is over-the-top, unfortunately, that lightens the mood and you do not get that feeling of tension there anymore. And I think that could have been sold if they'd have looked back on the previous moves and tried to capture the the pacing and the atmosphere of them. Because by inserting those jokes, or at least inserting them and not taken away during the editing process you just aren't as in there in the set even in like alien 3 which a lot of people like it or not a lot of people don't rate as highly as the first two you still do get that sense of tension i mean you have that great speech where you have about you know are you going to die begging on your Mm. knees or you, you know you get that feeling of tension they are not fucking around and having jokes anymore alien resurrection is the only one where you don't quite get that feeling it gets to a point where it feels like like um, a platform computer game where they're trying to get to the next level and they're trying to get to the ship and they're trying to have yeah. like, the boss fight and you don't feel it's a, a human situation with a very real high stakes involved should we talk about casting i think um winona Ryder did an excellent job as call yeah. personally and i really like the dynamic between her and ripley yeah their relationship, in, in terms of uh, Winona and Sigourney's chemistry, I, I quite enjoyed, actually. And there was a very sort of, um, you know, Ripley's, as a character, is um, she's having an identity crisis throughout the throughout the film. She's human, she's alien. And you have Carl, you know, Winona, you know, Winona's character, who's there fighting for humanity. She's against Ripley. She's a thing. She's a construct some sort of abomination and then you get the nice big you get the reveal about um call being an android at which point it's like uh, uh, uh you're all those things too which yeah. i always find quite interesting and um i don't it's like ripley is mirroring her because she loathes yeah. herself therefore ripley is not human either and therefore why would you want to be alive because i don't want to be alive and ripley says you know what makes you think I'd let you kill me? Which I thought was a really nice piece of dialogue too. Mm. Although as a character, I didn't like the way Call was portrayed. I think Winona Ryder did a great job. I did not like the character of Call because it had all those kind of, oh, I'm a robot, I want to be a human kind of issues, where I liked Bishop precisely because he didn't have those issues. He was just a synthetic. He was doing his thing. You know, he had a character, but he didn't have all these emotional hang-ups like Cole did. Um, to me, especially when they said she's of a generation of um, synthetics, which are, you know, robots built by robots. They're trying to improve the last model. I thought as a character, it was a kind of like a step back because in a way, what's the point of making her a synthetic if she the whole point of her is she's acting and behaving and motivated in ways which you know she's all but human i think it's more the the mirroring of ripley that makes it interesting from a writing point of view oh, anyway. yeah I, I like the dynamic of ripley and call because obviously they were they were actually playing on the part of ripley had lost a daughter and 
obviously cool for... It never really comes across humanity. in the film, I don't think. No, no, but that's what they do in Behind the Silk, mm. at least according to the commentary. But I... I think the character of Cool could have been improved, but I did like the dynamic between her and Ripley. You know, there's a weird kind of semi-erotic thing about it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't... Like, it was filmed well, but... All that kind of like sensual touching and that, and um, well, that's just myself, all over in it. But that's, yeah, to it, get it, stereotypical it, here, you know, he did it very <laughs> French, yeah, it which he, which he, he actually says as well. Yeah, um, in in the behind the scenes, you know, he brought a very French sensual touch to it. As did the scene where she's getting carried along by an alien. Well, you know, which that, confuses that, a lot of people. Well, she always says. You know, do you remember back where she said when she did sequels, she wanted to do certain things. She wanted to have sex with an alien. Yes. And she wanted to die. And yeah. she always says that that was supposed to be her having sex with the alien. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, you can see the sensualness in it. Yeah, you, yeah. You, but you I, I can think get that erotic touch. You don't quite know what's happening, and it it could be either, and it's deliberately done that way. But. Um, yeah, I've seen a bit again, this comes back to his directing yeah. style. That's not the script so much. That is his directing style. And that's that's Weaver when she gets a bit too, too much power. Arty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this cool composer John Frizzell really mm, went with his soundtrack based on this, based on the um, eroticism um, brought on by the visual side of the movie. Uh, he says in one of the um, backstage featurettes that the the film is very erotic. The ver- the the way the characters move and uh, the way some scenes are shot. I love the um, the first bit of music, which is actually going over those kind of like morphing, fleshy dissolves. That piece of music I loved. Um, yeah. The rest of the soundtrack isn't quite nearly as iconic as the soundtracks for the other three movies. You know what? I thoroughly enjoyed that soundtrack. It's very... It's a lot more uh, melodic than I think the other ones are. There's a lot of melodies that are moving throughout. And um, it does actually... It's the only film up until the AVPs to, um, to sort of feature any of the earlier elements. There's... there's um, you know, bits of the alien motif in there, and um, some of uh, Golden Falls' um, music in there, particularly uh, Wreckage, Wreckage and Rape, or is it Rake and Wreckage? Whichever way around that is. Um, <laughs> which is one of my favourite tracks in Alien 3. Is that the industrial one? It's it's with all the weird sounds. <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, it's, it's these weird sort of vibration-y types. I'll send you a link in a bit, but you'll you'll know it once you hear it. You might not necessarily yeah. put the name I, to I, it, but... Yeah, I don't hate the soundtrack. It's just that like it didn't quite work for me like some of the others did. But I, I think part of that is to do with like some of the way the music is used, like on Cool's reveal. You know, she survived the fall and the door comes up and you look from her feet up to her and there's this big like of superhero action type <laughs> music which accompanies to it. And to me, that that style of music it didn't quite gel. It made it like a different cut. It didn't feel like an alien movie. You know what, overall, it might not necessarily have felt like an alien movie, but it felt like it fit the movie that Jeanette was trying to tell. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt that. Yeah. So, again, it's all coming... <laughs> it comes back to my uh, unsuitable comment. I think everybody involved, they all, you know, they're pleased with what they did. Yeah. But, um, I think that the same could be said of Alien 3 itself. Does it 
necessarily feel like an alien movie or is it best like watched on its own? I think, you know, I think 50% of people now, is, you know, if they like it, they like thinking of it like its own movie and 50% of people like watching it. They say, no, it's completely, it fits like the tone of an alien film. And I think it's a, it's a thing that could be leveled up for several films. Does it feel like a legitimate part of the series, or do you, does it work better for you as a personal you know, individual just watching it as its own thing, like Prometheus as well? That's another one. I, I like it as its own film, but it doesn't feel like an alien film to me. Uh, I do love the Resurrection soundtrack because it, it has some um, really nice uh, visceral quality about it, especially when um, in the opening credits and in the clone scene, it, it, because it has uh, these uh, various uh, sounds, it uses these uh, um, spheres rubbed onto a gong. Mm, I and, really uh, like also that kind of experimental. The, the uh, it was kind of uh, experimental, and I think it really um, sounds like some kind of boom. You know, the sounds you hear in a boom. Uh, and it's really interesting, very very visceral, very um, fitting for the movie. How uh, you reached up? Uh, yeah, I thought John Frizzell did a, a decent job on the score. I don't think it's as memorable as the original trilogy, for sure. Uh, but I think for the tone that Joannette was going for, uh, it complemented the movie perfectly. Right. Well, back to casting, then. Um, there's two people in this film that I think should have always ended up in an alien film. Tim Flowers. No. <laughs> I'm Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif and um, Leyland Orser. Yeah. It's typecasting on my part, uh, granted, but I do think they honestly belonged in an alien film. Um, I think Brad Dourif wasn't used so well. Um, I think I would have liked to have seen him... He kind of like had an early death. I would have liked to have seen his character in more of a movie. Well, he, he dis- yeah, he disappears and then he shows yeah. up. And there's a comment from um, from Joss Whedon where he's it's one of the ones where he's blaming somebody else for the film's problems. <laughs> yeah. And um, he's, he's blaming um, casting. Oh, I know the one, yeah. yeah. And is saying that it was typical of them to cast Brad Dourif as the guy who went insane. But the thing is, he didn't go insane. Is shows up for a bit and then he disappears and then he shows up later and then he's sort of yeah, gone there's, not... there's no growth in him is in no, his character it's not you could have cast arnold schwarzenegger in that role you know that character is signposted off a hundred miles away as he's the crazy one there is no way i don't think that he was fine for that role there was no issue well, that. no that, that's what he's saying but i don't personally think that was how that character was because I don't think that um, I don't think it's signposted quite like that. He's no... kissing the alien. Well, that's, that's a little bit weird, <laughs> but that, that's... that's what I'm saying. A, a scene like that, you know, he's gone a little bit too infatuated. It's not moved into properly. I'm I'm a very sort of narrative person, and I like my evolution to make sense. I like it to be slightly hinted at and gone into and for me they never really did that with the character he was was a guy who enjoyed his job he enjoyed his work and then is kissing alien then he disappears for about an hour and then he's back and then he's a bit batshit it it wasn't 
the character evolution wasn't convincing enough for me to go, alright, that's Brad Dourif, he's snogged a wall, he's going batshit crazy. I think, yeah, he would have, again, this is typecasting, I'm sure he hates it, and everybody who's typecasted hates it, but he would have been better as a character who was better more time and you could sort of see his proper infatuation with the aliens yeah that's why I said I would have liked him to have had more character development oh. I think he played it really well um, the other thing is um, Dr. Wren who is the most people know him as the other doctor um, the one that basically stays through the story for those who haven't watched the film for a long time he was a um, not originally obviously he was, cut, he was scripted as a guy I guess but in the commentary I found it interesting that the director he actually wanted that character to be a woman and the studio said no 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 because we've got three women all in the same film you've got you've got all Ripley, and then if you make this character a woman, you'd have three women. It's going to be too many women. And not, I mean, 2015, it's been over 15 years since, but it's not been too long. And when you hear that was the yeah, studio's kind of attitude, reason for yeah. it, that's a bit of an iffy reason not to have changed it. I think Ren could have worked equally well as a woman mm. or a man. Um, the interesting thing about it, for back to Whedon again, is that in Buffy, in, um, let me think, Series 4, which I think would have been about 2000, 2001, um, he did, Joss Whedon did actually introduce a kind of like a military government aspect of the series, and he did have a character called Professor Walsh, who was a female, and she basically was Dr. Wren as a female. It is very interesting, knowing now that... Um, the director wanted Dr. Wren to be female. I do wonder if Whedon had heard about that. And he thought, oh, yeah, what would be interesting if I did Dr. Wren in Buffy, but make her a woman. And it actually, it, it did actually kind of work in a more vaguely sinister way as a woman. So it would have been interesting to see what Dr. Wren would have been like yeah. with a sex change, so to speak. But um, I think J.E. Freeman, given the material he had to work with, I think, Again, he, I didn't have any problem with him either, but it was interesting to hear again on the contrary that one of the reasons that he got cast was because the studio did not want to pay much money for the villain. <laughs> well, so he's a budget actor. Uh, Pat, well, that's what they said on the commentary. He said one of the reasons he got cast as that character was they did not want to pay much for the villain. So he had like a <laughs> short list of guys he, I guess he'd worked with before who wanted to. And he said that apparently... Um, uh, Freeman, when he read out the part, he said he was perfect for the role. He said he'd done a rehearsal and he did a perfect rehearsal and he wished he'd, he'd, wished he'd had a, like a tape recording of the first ever rehearsal they did. Um, but yeah, that was some interesting history to learn of when you watch the um, version of the film with the commentary on. What about you, Per? What did you think of um, well, Dourif and Freeman? I didn't really think uh, Freeman um, employed all these potential in the character um, but I do think that with what he was given he did a decent, decent job um, the, the, the thing I like the most about the character is how he dies ironically mm. because there's this um, some people think it's a silly moment I think it's uh, poetic justice because um, Bran put an alien inside the um, Purvis and Purvis kills uh, Bran by putting an alien inside him. Hmm. I think that was an interesting um, 
visual metaphor. Yeah. Um, the character of Bran, I think it was a bit too, um, you know, by, by the numbers kind of yeah, scientist villain. Yeah, I, I agree. It was too obviously a villain. Comic book villain. Yeah, I, I, that's why I say I've got no problem with the actor's portrayal, but I think the actual writing yeah. and directing of Dr. Wren, he should have been more ambiguous because he yeah. came across too much like what I hope Blomkamp does not do, which is this moustache twirling, we are evil scientist type villains. They do not work for me, which was one of the things about Alien Resurrection I didn't like. But again... The, the actor, I had no problem because he was just doing as he was told. I, you know, I could buy his performance. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. He had a poetic justice death, as you say, but it was one of those things where, you know, the camera goes down his throat and you have the chest burster, which was not anatomically right, though. Well, That's my thing. Yeah, that too. It didn't have those stretchy tendons on the mouth, which is why it looked well, so... No, I'm, I'm thinking more of the point of it... It's yeah, supposed to be a chest burster. Why is it in his fucking esophagus? Yeah, 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 obviously. But um, the way it was shot, it was too over the top, I thought. Mm. I, I think it would, have been, it would have been a case like, you know, he, Dr. Wren didn't see Purvis or so. You know, he crept up behind him and did it. Or something different from, oh, I'm going to charge at you, rah, bang, 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 bang. Especially with Wren. He's been working with the bloody things. He knows fully well what a chest burster is going to do. He should be concentrating on just know, getting out the door or, or kicking Winona Ryder into the path of this guy or shooting his legs, something like that. It just came across one of those moments which, when you, it, I mean, I've got the comic adaptation. It, it looked like it should be in a comic. It didn't look like it should be in a film. But, again, I like the fact it had a poetic justice because he needed to be killed by an alien. But... Having it that, the, just the way it was shot, it was one of those moments again, like, oh, must be a chick thing. It, it made me cringe a little. I think, um, they did not use Duraf to his potential. I mean, he's a, a great actor and just what he could have done with the scientists studying the aliens, they yeah. could have developed that a lot better. Um, I think Freeman was fine. I think his character really exuded like a sleazebag scientist. Absolutely. So when he eventually betrayed the crew, you could kind of understand it because more than anything, he still wanted to protect the specimens. And I think, yeah, it was kind of by the numbers, but, you know, as far as, as Matt, uh, meeting those numbers goes, I think he, uh, he did a fine job. Uh, Duraf, I don't think he really went crazy as much as, you know, he was, he was hived and he probably knew he was going to die. So he just kind of let himself go wild a bit. Um, I, I thought that was, it was kind of interesting and I, I didn't think it was like, Oh, he's an evil scientist going crazy. I never saw, um, Duraf's character as a villain or ill intentions of the movie. I think he was more than any of the other scientists. He was just fascinated with the aliens. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> butterfly. I think at that point we all know he's gone off the deep end though. Well, yeah. But... <laughs> what, what did you think to Leyland Orsa, Purvis? Um, I thought he did fine, but again, I I haven't seen that actor in in too many films to be honest. But I thought he did a a good job. Um, I don't think they used him to his potential either in the film. He was just someone they came across and that was surviving with him. But I do think he it was an interesting character to add to the the group. I think it, it was better for that because otherwise you would have just had, uh-huh. you know, the scumbag Ariga, Ariga crew. Yeah. Um, 
but they, having these other characters, having Ren, having Purvis with them, kind of made it a more dynamic group. I don't. Well, I, I like the plot device, you know, the mechanic he filled, where it forced the Betty crew to, you know, this is the end result. This is what, what you've done, been yeah. hijacking it's, ships to do. I don't think it acts. Yeah, the the intentions there. I don't think the film put that across. No, because they're they're all kind of like buddy buddy in a yeah. room space of about ten See, minutes. Purvis should have been like. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Rather than you know, alright, I'll I'll take point and yeah. we'll just crack on. Yeah. Uh, I really I loved... did like um Ripley's monologue to him though. Oh yeah. I love that scene to they had together. That scene they had together was really well done. I'm the monster's mother. Yeah. About you, I... uh, Omega. Uh I love uh, um Orser's performance because uh every time you see him on screen you can feel that the character has been thrown in the situation he has no clue about. You, you know, he he constantly wonders what the fuck is going on. You can see that on his yeah. face. That that's another that's uh, another one of the funny lines I liked was what, um, where where one of them goes, um, "This isn't right," and he goes, uh, "Also goes, I've been saying that all day." Yeah. That made me giggle. Yeah, I also like that or uh, also can. You know, can do this calm character, but this calm character can, you know, lose his shit anytime. You know, when he says, "What's in fucking inside me?" or, or when he um just bursts away and uh, he charges at Ren. Uh, I really, really like the performance. Orser is uh, wonderful. Yeah, he he was somebody I thought should be in an alien film. I was glad yeah. to see him in there. Ridge Top, you said you hadn't really seen him in anything. I recommend uh, Bone Collector, which he's in. Excellent. Oh yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah. I'll definitely that's, check that was, it out. That was Denzel Washington as well, wasn't it? And um, he's in an episode of Star Trek that I was rather fond of, um, Star Trek Voyager, where he plays a, a hologram. He's supposed to be in Seven, but it's one of those films everybody talks about and I've not yet actually seen. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I, re- I remember him from Seven now. He Which is ironic, because um... David Fincher did that. What about any of the, any of the other actors then? Because to be fair, a lot of them I'm not overly familiar with outside of the work on Alien um, now was it Michael Winscott Wincott, yeah. Wincott I, I don't really know him Who's I don't really death know Kim I Flowers. still do not understand in this film well it was supposed to be a trap wasn't it yeah, or, or do you mean it's sprayed by acid and it's like pop up his face no 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 goes, you're thinking Gary Duriff no um yeah as Christy yeah, yeah. You, um oh yeah yeah sorry we, Winscott's oh, we the captain yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was waiting for this to come up. That was a very strange scene where it's like, well, my pretty face is ruined, and now I have to die for some reason. <laughs> I, have to, I have to fall in the water that's like 10 feet below me, and I can't and swim to the actually, surface. Yeah, but that's the thing. He doesn't actually... He just kind of like splashes into the water, and that's Somebody it. should have swam down and got him. And... Yeah, because <laughs> the alien kind of like jumps oh. over him to get to the other people. For all the intent of... I think, actually, looking back on well, this... Well, no, the alien's dead at that point. Oh, no, there's, is there another yeah, one? Yeah, there's the other one. But looking back on it, I, just, I do remember at the time in the um, like alien news group and stuff that a lot of people saying, well... you well, know, It's, it's supposed to paralyse him. He could have been another synthetic. And they said, well, that might have explained why he was aiming so well. Um, but it's like, you know, Vickers in Prometheus, a lot of people said she was a synthetic. It's a pure, like, fandom thing but uh michael wincott yeah he um elgin or elgin i don't remember how he's pronounced but i liked his character he's another one that kind of died early um like brian brian glover i think in alien 3 um no you're thinking uh, yeah Um, yeah. it's another one of those characters where i liked his performance and oh he's dead and we're left with other characters 
Um, Ron Perlman, I I can't imagine anyone else but Ron Perlman doing John as well. Huh? As he is, yes. Yeah, Perlman yeah. was perfect because he has this, you know, um, cocky attitude that works uh, perfectly for the character. Yeah, he's very he brutish as, as well. Bully, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we compare that character to um, Jane, to um, Adam Baldwin's yeah. character, but I think the brute that is Jonah was far more big and ugly and yeah well you you could believe he was a murderer son of a bitch would slit your throat if he thought you were looking at him but again he was right pullman plays him really well but he's too his character himself is too comical yeah again he's a stereotype yeah i mean jane works in firefly i fucking love jane yeah he's the best character in the article let's be bad guys (laughs) he, he was kind of played for laughs in a relatable way whereas um Jonna or Joe I think Von Jonah Jonna. Um that wasn't played for laughs in a in a subtle way, shall we say. Let's talk about the the likability of them as well. I mean we're we're given an Alien Three situation here where we have Ripley who's in over her head by not her fault, by circumstances. We've given a bunch of military characters that were performing experiments and our main heroes are people that have stolen humans to be, you know, incubators. There's there's a likability factor. I mean, how how can you root for them? Did that did that ever bother any of you? Not really. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as you have with predators. Um, you have a bunch of people that that aren't the best kind of people, but I mean, they're still just trying to make their way in the universe, even if they are like pirates. They they don't seem evil, you know. It's it's just kind of a job for them, and yeah, it might not be a morally justified job, but I don't think they they get off on doing it, you know. Well, in fairness, they didn't realize what these human captives. They just kind of like handed them over to the military and. I guess they'd had previous contracts with um, them from what the um, Elgin or Elgin and um, General Perez were saying in their private conversation. So you don't get the same feeling as in Alien 3, where they are literally all rapists and murderers and that. They're just like, it's the Firefly mentality where they're doing the job. You don't get the sense even that, you know, they're all pirates. You can get, you get the feeling that, John is, um, Christie maybe, but you don't get the feeling that particularly Bryce or um, Healer, they're not kind of like boarding ships and holding people at gunpoint and saying, we will kill you or else. Yeah, I, I don't think they knew that the um, the cargo that they captured would be ultimately killed because you see them kind of surprised when they find out what happened to yeah. it. So they probably thought it was the government just wanted them for some reason and... They didn't ask too many questions about yeah, it. that's it. It's just no questions asked. We'll do the job. One of, it's still relating to casting. One of the problems, again, it's a lot to do with style, what was on the screen and what you heard, was I found the overacting in some parts quite irritating. Freeman's, when he's being choked and when he's facing yeah. bad situations, <laughs> did this fucking thing with yes. his eyes <laughs> that was just horrid. And... Um, I forget the name of the actor, but the guy who played uh, General Perez. I found him to Dan Hadaya. Yeah, he did some weird facial expressions when he was doing everything, yeah. literally everything. And if when so... he pulls the lever to release one of the escape pod, it's like he sneezes. If you know. Mm. 
That that didn't work no. for me. That's what I said. He worked well. At the, at his first scene, he comes across as like a believable, you know, army general type guy who's got problems with this experiment. But you know, even there, he's saying, "Are you thinking about Terminator? You know, we've got this amazing creation. It's it's another Ripley." And he's saying, "No, look, she goes wrong. She's getting put down." So I'm thinking at that point, yeah, he's a kind of like believable ruthless practical guy but then as he goes on he becomes more and more comical yeah. i think i'd have respected him like as a death or whatever a whole lot more if he'd have kept to that playing it straight attitude when he had in his um in his first scene at least the book makes him to be a very sort of straight lace by the book's military kind yeah. of guy and having that sort of approach to it would have does the book have his um, his original death or the death as it plays on screen? No, it's 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 yeah, it's it's the on screen death. Although I don't think he actually pulls his brain out. I think he feels the injury and then goes for it. See, that would have been better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do like his little whiskey ice cube thing. Yeah, there's some there are some <laughs> elements throughout the the film that are quite good. And for me, Ripley Ripley E is is really one of yeah. them. I mean, that's why I say it doesn't make you... You're not really rooting for the Betty crew as such. When you're watching the film, you're really... You're with Ripley and mm. Cole, who yeah. you already know was not with the Betty crew. She was just using them to get close to Ripley. How did people like Ripley? How did you guys like Ripley? I mean, she's she's not the Ripley we know. She's some completely different incarnation of the character. I think that's one of the main things that made the movie work for me and made it more interesting because Ripley's identity in the trilogy was the alien was her mortal enemy and she would stop at nothing to kill it. But since she's part alien in this, she has a connection to them. And so she's not the same Ripley she was before. And my favorite scene in the movie is when she's embracing the warrior alien after she gets yeah. captured, because it's just so weird and, and cool to see this thing. That's like, she's been trying to stop like, uh, by any means necessary, and now here she is embracing it in this in this odd kind of exotic scene. So I thought that that was definitely um, a, a really cool dynamic, having her be part alien. Did you like Weaver's portrayal of of that? Yeah, I thought she played it pretty well. That like I think um, like you were saying earlier, Xenomorphin, she kind of once she starts rolling with the crew, she she goes more to her old self kind of. But there's more of a a lightheartedness and humor about her that we didn't see in the other movies, and I like that. Um, she wasn't playing it as seriously as she was before. I think um, Weaver's performance was phenomenal because uh, not only in her emotions, but also in her um, body language. Because um, you know there are these little head turns, you know when. When Kim Flowers, you know, you know, the actress dies, you know, the alien drags her in the water, and you see Ripley's reaction, you know, she, she bobs her head a little, and also the way she sees Williams, they discussed this with the suit actors, uh, with Tom Woodruff, how uh, should um, Ripley move, and I think um, we were brought up really wonderful body language to the character because you're you're never too sure whether she's feeling human or whether she's feeling like a little bit something else you know and there's something that is discussed also by the um the, the composer and the director no the line between the natural 
replay and the elves, the, the something else. I think um, Weaver did a wonderful job with Train Ripley 8 as this, you know, confused character um, that's not really sure about what her nature really is. And uh, I really love also the way she acted in the Viper Pit sequence when she um, is in this big uh, pulsating set and uh, you know her face her movements her little movements really say everything yeah i mean for me i i've never said you know i hate alien 3 it's just i prefer the first two but there are bits about alien 3 which work bits about it which don't work with this film it's the same although i think they complement each other i think resurrection does things well that alien 3 didn't and vice versa but with yeah. both of them, I thought Weaver in Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection does really good performances, but I particularly liked her predatory nature, because as I say, I think she did it just about right. She didn't oversell it. It was completely believable. She is part alien, not physically, so to it, but it came across in the character. And her portrait, just when she was like the with this scene with Purvis, and yes, she's joined up with the Betty crew by that point, but she's kind of taking this gallows humour, slightly sadistic um, amusement in the fact that you know he, he this guy's got one inside him, but then she says, "Oh yeah, it's a real nasty one." She smiles just on the. It's not creepy, but it's it's predatory, and it's that same air you get as when she's in the basketball scene. And she just plays it purely through the... It's not just how she says it, it's the pacing of her dialogue and the body language. But I really liked Ripley 8 when she was having that kind of slightly schizophrenic duality of nature, personality. I really wished it had carried on a lot further. Um, yes, you get glimpses of it, like when she's with the newborn, but at that point she's kind of like half putting on an act. I really wish we could have seen more of that slightly predatory side. But even when she's kind of like returning and she's got that line at the end, you know, you know how to pilot one of these things and, you know, this shit's older than I am kind of thing, it's Ripley. And I think through all four films, but it's got stronger and stronger as each film has got on, I really like Weaver's portrayal in this particular film. If, if there's anything about Alien Resurrection where people go, oh, you know, the newborn or blah, 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 I'd say, yeah, but look at Sigourney Weaver's portrayal. It's fun. As, as I said earlier, it's it's just phenomenal to watch on screen. That's, that's one thing I'm going to be really sort of miss when um, Alien Camp comes out, is not it not being Ripley 8. That was something... I was always looking forward to seeing explored in, well, in a potential There's a 5% chance, you never know. It, it could is. be. No. It could, it's like Doctor Who, they don't <laughs> lying, we never know. <laughs> nah, I, I doubt it. But in the event that, you know, let, let's assume that it's not, that it is ignoring Resident Alien 3. But if, if that is the case, then I will be disappointed that they can't explore that, because yeah. I would have, I would have liked to have seen them use her connection yeah, a bit it more. Had, she had some really great potential off that film i i know you know it, it you know the derelict supposed although there's some wiggle room you never know the derelict wasn't supposed to be around anymore but i would have liked to see an alien five lead directly off of it just to see a glimpse of because I, I think cameron was going to do a, a similar thing with bishop if he'd done alien three where he didn't know if he was being 
programmed with certain things and he didn't know who he really was. Yeah, I'd have liked to have seen that kind of thing, but with her possibly resurfacing alien mm. DNA with Ripley A, because yeah. I think Weaver handled that really well. Indeed. Well, they did do kind of a sequel to Resurrection in novel form with uh, original oh, Sam. That sucked balls, though. They actually yeah. did another one. <laughs> to, to, put, to put that bluntly. <laughs> they did the awful, and I'm not just saying this, it was truly, an, it was literally painful to read the Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator, <laughs> which actually starred oh, yeah, Ripley A. I won't say what yeah. happens at the end, um, but it let's say it it made me think, you absolute fucking bastards, by having it end <laughs> the way it did and do what they did to Ripley A. It was, um, but that's because you know I've seen Alien Resurrection and I was thinking of Weaver's portrayal and the way they. Did it in that. You know, she has been explored, but if she's explored in the same way as the Versus Terminator comic, I'm just going to thank my lucky stars that maybe she is not going to be squandered by virtue of not being in the next film. Right, um, Bridgetop, and it's slightly off track, but do you want to go over a little bit about Original Sin and what they do with it? Because it's been a, a while since I've read it. You know, it's. I can't quite remember. It's what been they do a while since I've read it too. I remember she's still with the Ariga crew. Um, there's a couple of. The Betty yeah, crew. I'm sorry, the the Betty <laughs> crew. There's a couple of new members to the crew, um, and I think there's a space station outpost somewhere, and they're looking to to find out what happened to it or, or raid it or something like that. And then there's aliens on the station. My favorite part of the book was there was this garden that was part of the space station which i believe was a cut scene yeah, from the movie the they had like yeah. this big greenhouse as part of the auriga um so i was glad yes. to at least get a glimpse of that in in the novel form um but that would have been an amazing scene i think if they had kept it in resurrection i, I think they just left it out because of budgeting costs well the, the, the color palette of it wouldn't have been quite so suitable either, i think that's I what think. would what would have made it more interesting it would have been this room of the ship that was completely different than than anything else well looking at the concept art of blomkamp's one there is that greenery in there and when i saw that one of the first things that came to mind was the stuff from alien resurrection that didn't make like you said that kind of like it's a greenhouse or something and there was i think actually Christie was meant to have originally died during that but um, mm. that made me think, ah, is Blomkamp, he's a, he might be aware of the resurrection stuff that didn't make it to screen. That would be interesting. And, uh, and looking I... off of that, well, sorry, I'll, I'll just say, it's also, that reminded me of the scene that was in the script, which, coming back to Whedon, this is one of the things I liked about his writing, the very beginning scene where it's, I think it's Ripley's voice, it might have been you, but she's saying, my mummy always said there were no yeah. monsters, no real ones, and there's this cornfield scene. And these kind of like aliens going through the cornfield, I think. But it never made it into Alien Resurrection, but it did make it into um, the Jurassic Park sequel, Lost World, where they had Velociraptors going through these long grass. Well, that was in Alien 3 as yeah, well. Yeah, the, the original rightly. concept. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ward's script, actually. Yeah. It would have been nice to have seen as the, as the beginning of Alien Resurrection, but I think the reason they didn't do it was because it cost too much. But well, it yeah, would have, yeah. as I read that, first part of the, the way it was originally scripted I did like the way that was doing with the cornfields and that mute dialogue. But yeah, to kind of finish up on Original Sin, I, I need to reread it. It's been a long time, but I think it ends with them, it alludes to the jockeys somehow. I don't know if they get in contact with I, I remember that. 
I remember the jockey bit because the idea was that there was some alliance between some faction of humanity and the jockeys, mm-hmm. and um, they were doing experiments. Now I hate I hate all the bits and bobs surrounding it. I remember that, but I remember liking the reason why, and the reason why was that the um, space jockeys couldn't reproduce basically, oh. and they were using the alien doing experiments on it specifically because of the virility of the aliens and oh, how effectively I like that aspect but I remember disliking the novel overall were they actual I... elephant space jockeys in that yeah they, they called it the Malak oh or right like yeah Malaka. yeah there you go so you know we've we've been waffling on for about an hour and a half now and you know what we haven't talked about the aliens yeah the alien designs Okay. Now I'm gonna hand it off to you, Omega, for a little bit here as the uh, the design expert. <laughs> if you wanna tell us a little bit about I, what what you thought of the alien design. I really love uh, ADI's work on this movie. I think uh, that um, they really outdid themselves in this movie because there's there's some of the most uh, realistic um, creature work I have ever seen in the movie. I'll begin talking about the newborn. Uh, because uh, I think it's uh, the most um, um, innovative aspect of the movie. I think the animatronic used for the newborn was spectacular. It, it was, it's basically the most realistic creature I have ever seen in a movie. It's so lifelike, it's, it's, it looks real. And it was a very complex animatronic, and uh, I'm surprised it's not brought up more when it's, it's talk about animatronic expressivity. Um, regarding the regular aliens, um, I also like them because the design really fits the movie, in the sense it fits the context. Uh, many, th- many people say, ah, yeah, they stripped the biomechanical aspect of mm. it. And yeah, these aliens are fleshier, sort of more human looking, and that's the point, because they are tainted by human DNA. ADI goes on about this in several books, several magazines, etc. Okay, I, I was hoping somebody bring this up, because we always go on about that, how it suits the context of the film. And from my prep for, for this uh, podcast, I've seen... I haven't seen ADI talk about the design mentality for the aliens. All I've sort of heard was that they wanted to make them more threatening, so they angled made the, it sharper. Angled, angled the jaws, angled gave the, the head, yeah. Yeah. yeah, got rid of the penis um, head. Um, so where where have you sort of seen them talk about their mentality for the design? Uh, where there, there's this uh, interview on Pangoria. Uh, okay. And there's one on Cinefax too. And uh, I think so they were in, in magazines at yeah, the time. Yeah, and I think most recently they got interviewed for um, the Arbigan Down uh, on eo9.com, and they also say there that um, uh, the 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 reason for the fleshy aliens was that they were tainted with human DNA. That that really doesn't explain the. Uh, digitigrate legs, you know, the dog-like legs, mm. and that was more of um artistic kind of liberty, because they uh, suggested to Junet that they l- use uh, long frog-like legs for the swimming scenes. In fact, the design was partially 
influenced by the fact there was going to be a swimming scene, an underwater scene, because ADI says that um, the long legs were inspired by, you know, reptiles and um, and crocodiles and frogs. And there's also, if you notice, there's this, you know, fin-like extension towards the end of the alien's tail. And they wanted to suggest that the alien could properly propel itself uh, through the water. They, they were inspired by crocodiles in that aspect. The movement of the aliens, this is interesting because they, they brought a lot of aspects from the last movie. Um, because they wanted the aliens to be a cross between a big cat and an insect when, yeah. they, when they were about the movement. If you remember, uh, Fincher um, really, um, really wanted the alien to move like a jaguar and also like a spider in certain scenes. This is the same in, um, in Alien Resurrection. Also in the swimming scenes, they tried to cross the way a human swims with the way an iguana swims. If you notice, the, the movement of the tail uh, is very iguana-like. And uh, I don't think the phallic shape of the head was uh, uh, completely removed. It's just more subtle. If you notice in this side view, the the shape is still present overall, but it's um, less over. You know, it's less obvious. Uh, I don't think the resurrection aliens really do work because they are kind of a distortion of the original design. If you notice on these on the shoulders, they have these fleshy strips of muscle of flesh, and they look like the you know the little thin pipes on the shoulder of the original alien, only distorted. Also on the abdomen area, you have these details that really look like uh, you know. Mm, imbalance the growth of the original design. I really like the resurrection design for what it is. It really works in the context of the movie. And I think they look like, in the movie, sort of like overground gremlins, you know. Uh, the way they were characterized, it's like they enjoy what they're doing. For example, in the, um, in the leather scene, you know, when the alien grabs Christie's foot, and it looks like um, it's enjoying what he's doing. You know, it's, it's doing it because it's evil. I also like that the movie kind of focused on the, um, on the intelligence, you know, of the, on the um, evil intent of these creatures. Um, for example, when they use the um, freezing gas against one of the guards. Uh, I really like that aspect, because in the other movies, um, it's kind of different, because in the other movies, in, in Alien 3, it was very dumb. The alien was very dumb, like an animal. Mm. But well, the idea was it was more beast-like, yeah, beast-like. though, wasn't it? So, again, it fits the context of... Yeah. Whereas in the be. first two movies, I think it was the best approach, because the alien was the real embodiment of the author. You know, the, the, the thing you cannot understand the thing you cannot really uh, see what it, it's going to do next. In Resurrection they're kind of, you know, more stylized 
And I really like this um, this kind of change, although it's kind of um, not exactly superior to how they were um, portrayed in the first two movies. All right, thank you. What, what about you, Xenomorphin? Um, <clears throat> well, I get why they gave them the fleshy appearance, because, you know, as been said about the gene splicing, although I think it doesn't quite work logically because Ripley 8 looks like Ripley. So I think there was definitely an argument if they wanted to season it for the aliens should have looked like alien. They just would have had a different personality shift. Um, I don't think the problem about Resurrection is the alien effects are a lot like in AVP, which ADI also did, and Alien 3, I suppose, in some regards. They didn't convince me in the same way as they did in Alien and Aliens. It didn't convince me it was an actual, you know... The, the atmosphere wasn't there in the same way, not just in terms of body language, but there was just something about it. It always looked like a guy in a suit. Why? For resurrection? Yeah. To me, every time there was a scene with a guy in a suit, it looked like a guy in a suit. To me, it didn't look like an alien. Um, a lot of that was probably down to them being almost fully lit most of the time. Um, I did like the way they swam. I loved the fact that they were using a crocodile motion. I loved this scene, like in where the alien had been tortured with this, you know, liquid nitrogen all the time, and it got its own back by waiting for a security guard to go in there and doing the liquid nitrogen itself. It showed it had a more human, sadistic intelligence. I like yeah. stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, even as H.R. Giger says, they, he felt they looked like turds. They didn't look, have that biomechanical look to them. Anymore. To me, they looked a little too fleshy, too organic. Um, even though it worked with Yeah, the but as I said, Ripley looked like Ripley. I, for me, I think it was their excuse to have something that looked different for the sake of looking different. Um, if I would have, you know, if I'd have been directing the film, I'd have had them looking like aliens. I wouldn't have had them look a bit more human um, because they Ripley didn't look more alien, so why should the aliens look more human? Well, one of the original intentions was, um, you know, she had dorsal tubes that were cut off. That were nipped in oh, the okay. See, that would have um, been interesting. So, and uh, the ideas were that uh, nails yeah. were actually she, alien nails. Yeah, she has black nails, and you yes, know, I don't remember she that. has the same color as the aliens' clothes. I think they're gold, actually. Yeah, nice. No, they're black. Oh, black. Sure, something yeah. just gold. Oh, could be wrong. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're black. But black. absolutely, the, the, I think they made them look a bit too fleshy. Um. But some of the things they did with them, like the behaviour, um, like the... I liked how, it, as I said, it, it used the, um, the liquid nitrogen for its own purposes, but I didn't like, behaviour-wise, what they did with um, getting out of their prison cell. So I thought that was yeah, genius. Yeah. Because it's it, destroyed it, by the fact that Ripley uses her mind, she injures herself to get out. And to me, aliens are meant yeah. to be the ultimate self sustaining sufficient species out there they should have kind of like injured themselves collectively because otherwise they're they're reducing their number of what a dozen or so down by one and to me that that made me instantly think ah it's just being done for the sake of you know aliens fighting aliens and when the you actually see the aliens fighting aliens it just looks really fake the sequence yeah i thought the sequence i liked the intent behind it but the 
the the so the soft sort of growls and the no don't hurt me kind of pleading i I wasn't keen all those fucking growls and roars they they came across like dinosaurs every time there were some nice shots i like the shot where in the shot where the betty crew for the first time encounters an alien and you have that kind of like velociraptor look where the camera is under the alien and you see it stalking towards them they know they can't fire at it because i I think that someone says that you know you're yeah, they're buying yeah, a hole or something. Because they've got yeah. acidic blood. Um, but a lot of the time, the aliens just, they came across a little bit too fake to me. Um, and especially, I'm, unfortunately, I'm in the camp where I do not like the newborn. I, I know what the director was going for. That kind of like Frankenstein's monster pathos, because you do fall for the thing, you know, when it dies. But it's the newborn. It's occupying the same role as the queen in Aliens. It should be as it was actually written in the script, I guess, you know, this kind of, like, more vicious thing. Um, I guess Whedon was on a vampire kick because it kind of, like, sucked the blood out of his victims. But um, it should have been a more vicious thing because it, it there was no need for the queen to lay an egg. It wouldn't take in on anything from a host. It was meant to be like, what if an alien came out of an alien? How vicious and predatory would that look? And instead... We were left with this thing where Ripley and the crew, they weren't going up any proper aliens. They were going up against this thing that it was a hot, belly, slow mess that had temper tantrums. And I know, again, that was the intent of the director. Again, this goes back to the director. But I think Janae should have looked at that and gone, going for a Frankenstein's monster approach is not working. We need to make this an alien. We need to make this go back to what makes the alien so horrific and Lovecrafty and let's dial that up instead of going for the this is the villain and we should feel sorry for it because it's dying and yet a few moments ago you've had it literally torture call and crush De Stefano's head in and to me that just didn't work it turned it from alien into Frankenstein and to me the creature design yeah it was it might have been interesting with that air, that thing they had to airbrush out with the genitals exposed, I guess. But, um, mm-hmm. it's to me that just, it looked like a genetic mess that was just hobbling along. And I just thought, no, this doesn't, again, it was something that made it feel not like an alien film. And that it made it look like a comic book film. So, yes, ADI did some great work because they were told to do that. That has to be emphasised. ADI do some magnificent work when they're given the budget, resources and the proper direction. But what we ended up with, which is a combination of ADI, the director, blah, 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 what we actually, the end result, it just didn't sit well with me as an alien thing. Creature effect. And, of course, as I said, the chestburster even looked fake because they... I still do not know why, but they didn't put those little mouth tendons on the side, and you'll notice they, they reuse that same prop in um, the AVP film, both of them, and it does not look like a chestburster. It looks like a puppet. That's something I've never actually noticed. Yeah, well, that's what you look down <laughs> gonna... um, Purvis's throat, and you see this little thing screaming around, and it lacks those little tendons on the side, and because partially because of that, it doesn't look like it's an organic creature. It looks like a hand, a hand puppet or animatronic thing covered in latex, which it is. It's just unfortunate. But, uh, 
Okay, yeah. That's I mean, the that's yeah. the other reason that why the ones in um, AVP Requiem, the grown adults, they have a kind of a weird thing that throws you off about the mouth. It's because they do not have oh. those tendons on the side. I think somebody somebody did like a Photoshop them with the tendons actually look much better. <laughs> Believe it or not. Search for Alien Resurrection Chestburster, and um, you should see it doesn't have those tendons. Um, that's it really hurts the design. Also, I think it has weird kind of like yeah. rubbery teeth. Removing the tendons from the chest burster kind of made it look like a porpoise. You know, when Roger Dickens designed the, the chest burster, he would say that it looked like a, a porpoise. Removing the mouth tendons, for me, uh, made it more look like a, a porpoise. With that said, I don't mind the design in the in the resurrection movie because again it fits the context. All the designs you see they are distortions of the original mm. creatures. So they they work within the context. Uh I they put on too much slime. Uh, ah there was one thing about the slime because the slime um, was um that was wanted by the director of photography they wanted a, yes, a specific did. slime yeah it's for lighting uh, yeah. for the for the lighting uh ADI actually i think ADI wanted less slime but yeah. the director of photography um, insisted on making the slime thicker and also for different variants so in this melted cheese effect <laughs> most people, most people go on about, which I disagree about, because it makes the the creature more lifelike for me. I think the uh, presentation of the aliens is excellent, um, but it was not something that ADI was about. It was more about the director of photography, because he wanted to light the aliens a certain way. Yeah. All right. Um, Rich Top, what about you? Um. You know, I, I really respect ADI. I think they're a great studio, but personally, the, the aliens in Resurrection were my least favorite design in the series. I think that the brown really didn't work. Um, it was more subtle in Alien 3, but they really went all out with the brown in Resurrection. I'm sure that was probably at the request of the director so that they would kind of blend with the sets because the ship was very rusted brown. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't think it worked for, for the alien. For me, the alien has always had an element of, of black to it. Um, because, you know, the aliens are in the shadows. And so I, I, I did like some elements of, of the design, like you were saying, Xenomorphin, that, that shot when it's prowling down the hallway and you yeah, see the digigrade legs. I like um, those legs, personally. I do too. Me we too. hadn't seen an alien move like that before and, and we wouldn't yeah. see it move like that again until isolation. Um, so I was hoping to see more of that, and if you watch the making of you can see another CG shot they did of it walking down the hall. And the way it was moving was was really cool. I do think they over-slimed everything, the eggs, the aliens. Um, the eggs I, I, were too muscular, too fleshy, I thought. My, my problem with the eggs was it was too much articulation. That um, was the director's you know, request, though. I don't yeah. know. It, it, well, yeah, it, it did say that they were too mechanical in the yeah. past, but it had one job to do. <laughs> His job was store the egg, get rid of the egg, and and they actually closed think... back up because when the, one yeah. of the face huggers kind of like it yeah. opens and that grenade falls in it and the egg gets. Oh yeah, that was stupid. And again, that's 
comicalness yeah. of it. But, you know, I get the intent. It looks more alive, and it was relatively disturbing seeing all the sort of suckling in the pool scene. But it was, it, was, it was the way that, a much yeah. more fleshier way that eggs were moving, yeah. But there was too much articulation. Yeah. I didn't need to see the base all Quivering. wiggling and having a bit of a jiggle. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry to cut in on you, Ridge Stop. So I don't know if it was just me, but it looked like the, the aliens had really crooked teeth in Resurrection. Um, I know that's kind of nitpicky, and I think they fixed it in, in AVP. It looked like the teeth were a bit more straight, and even more so in AVPR. Um, but I think that they did over-slime them. I know the aliens should be slimy, but there's kind of a sweet spot there. They should be mildly slimy, but not like slime covered. In, in AVP and AVPR, I think they got the slime pretty good. And I do think that the more fleshy looked worked better when they were black. Um, I know yeah. there's the, the justification of it, they had human DNA, but I think more than anything, it was really just a, a different artistic take on the creature. And I think it's fine. You know, it's it looks biomechanical still. It is leaning more towards the biological and less towards the mechanical as opposed to the, the first two movies. But I think it was a really interesting new look for the alien. In my opinion, it was a little bit too uh, fleshy. So I think that... You know, I, I think it was just a different design for the alien. And personally, I think it worked. I don't think it adulterated the alien at all. Um, I just didn't like the brown more than anything else. Mm. As far as the queen goes, I, I that was probably one of the most disappointing aspects of the movie for me was we didn't really see the yeah. queen except yeah. for a chestburster in Alien 3. And here we see her again, and, and she looks great, but she's just sitting on her ass, and then she gets her face wiped <laughs> off. And well, it was kind those... of... It's those two little arms. You don't even see the major arm, which is a shame because that was apparently the original Queen prop yeah, from, from Aliens. Bob it was Burns sitting in someone's um, garage or something. Bob, Bob Burns. Yeah, had if it. it hadn't been for that, we, the, there might not have even been a Queen in the story. It was a shame that she, again, it was something that was squandered. They had the original mould and prop for the Queen herself, and when you actually see her, she's just... It's like Giga says, she does look like a turd. And it, you just have her egg sack is like like a swollen slug at the bottom there. And all you see that's from the original design is just her head and those two little tiny arms just flailing around. And it looks like she's just having a fit, unfortunately. And it just doesn't do justice to how, no pun intended, but how majestic her design could have been if they'd have just left alone. In reality, the little arms were re-sculpted because um, when they went to search for the molds, they, they found out that they were destroyed. So the only really original yeah. part of the queen is the head and the neck. The rest of the queen is completely re-sculpted. Maybe that's the, why they did it. <laughs> about the uh, alien color skin, um, this is not seen very much in the movie, but ADI did a wonderful job in making a, a layered color scheme with the airbrush. You can see it better in uh, backstage photos. The, the movie doesn't really bring it up because the lighting really makes them blend. But in the backstage photos, you can notice, uh, you know, these layered um, sort of schemes and these are sort more of, more like Leaders were, though not as biomechanical. Might also just be worth note, um, pointing out that 
Aliens also had it as being quite brown as well in the, some of the original suits, even though it didn't necessarily look that way on Yeah, screen. it's all to do with lighting. Yeah, they had the, the really brown, bony highlights, and that was another thing I think they did well in, in AVPR, was they added these grayish-silver highlights um, that really stood out for me. I thought that was pretty well done. So, um, what about your thoughts on the newborn? And stuff? I thought the newborn kind of failed. I think you put it pretty well, uh, Xenomorph, and how it was it was more kind of Frankensteinish. It just kind of hobbled around. It wasn't very interesting. I think it was... I can I can get what the director was going for with it. I just think it was poorly executed. From a technological standpoint, it was fine. ADI did great work. Um, yeah. It had really cool facial expressions. I just think the design of the thing itself kind of fell short for me. Um, I mean, it was an, kind of an interesting dynamic between it and Ripley, and it was certainly gruesome how it, it ended up going in the end. But eh, I just I just didn't like the design very much, to be honest. Another thing about the, the Alien Warriors, though, is this is the first time we'd ever seen them uh, computer-generated. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think some of the shots, like the one where it's going down the hallway and the ones where it's swimming, worked really well. And going um, into I, the escape pod as well, I thought yeah, the way it yeah, speedily that, ran across. It's, it's the movement, I think, that really worked well with... Um... With the CGI um, aliens, because you'd never really seen them them move much. It was always quick flashes, quick glimpses. I mean, um, aliens had them on a bit of wire work, jumping from wall to wall, um, in what like a couple of instances. But you'd never seen that sort of full body movement, and they really got the sort of insectile, non-human movement down, which I really yeah. enjoyed. And again, it's something. Um, you mentioned isolation earlier um, the way it moves in isolation that sort of insectile yeah. gracefulness that it comes out of the vents with I will always have a nerdgasm <laughs> over that you know that that entrance and I do hope to see that sort of that sort of movement in the next next alien film which is why I'm not scared to have CGI no when it's done uh, right creatures. It's, you don't even realise yeah. it's there I, I just think the important thing with CGI is, with a film like this that has a legacy rooted in practical effects, you have to have a proper balance. Yes. Uh, it was yeah, one of the things definitely. that I thought really hurt the Thing prequel, and is why ADI's made Harbinger down, was because they were frustrated that all of their work was covered with CG. I think you can use them both together effectively. Um, so I hope that that, that is going to be the case in Bloomkamp's film, that you have really well-done practical work, and you also have CG where it's needed, and you have shots that include both of them together. Yeah, I think the other thing with the newborn, that it, what I was saying earlier about it needed to be more vicious than that, was because at that point in the story, you knew the other aliens were going to die. The, the queen wasn't going to come back. The thing which was meant to represent this giant, vast, overarching threat to humanity was what Ripley is facing off against with now. That's the only thing that's going to accompany them to Earth. And it looks like the newborn. When you, it's, too, it, it's too sympathetic. Yeah, but it does look I like mean, something it's that the can a global yeah. threat. Although, I will say in fairness, I do not know if they were... I'm assuming they are because of the cons, the cons, the context. But on uh, if you go to Dennis Bouvet's site, the guy who did the um, Alien Book 2 comic artwork and on there there are some actual concept pieces of it they're very nicely drawn 
Um, and there's some that are labelled the newborn, and they do look. Some look like a cross between the queen and a normal adult. There's several different designs on there, and I'm assuming because he was involved at that process, they were examples of what the studio was looking at as a different form of newborn. Something like wow. that I could have bought as a threat to Earth, but because in terms of if you're looking at the story, that just the plot device, the way the plot mechanics and the arc is working, I don't think the newborn works as it's meant to be. This is what they're bringing back to Earth. This is what could wipe out humanity. And it's just this kind of like semi-drunken yeah. toddler with a pot belly. Mm. Uh, yeah, I like I the just... skull look, but in, just in terms of story, it doesn't work. The concept art that you're yes. on about is, I'm pretty sure, just for figures. I'm pretty sure it had but nothing to do with the film the whatsoever. Because they might not necessarily have known what the, the model, the actual concepts were going to be. He was working with Hasbro on the figure line at that point. He wasn't working with the film. So what? Okay, but so they, they would have still been given stuff that was worth yeah, the studio. Yeah, but it, it wasn't what... It wasn't an intent of design okay. for the actual oh, well, film. Well, either way, I'd have preferred one of those. <laughs> At least from what I remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree. There's, they are... They look like they could conceivably lot, yeah. get to Earth and breed some kind of a Lovecraftian monstrosity, but the, the newborn doesn't look like... You know, it might defeat the Betty crew, and then, you know, whoever's down on Earth, they start with yeah. some rifles and blow it away, because it looks yeah, like, I, a, I, you know, a lump of jelly, basically. I do agree. I get what Eric is trying to say, but um, I don't think that was the point. The point about the newborn was whether Ripley should let it live or not. Should it um, continue to live or not? It's the same question she had to uh, face when she torched the Ripley 7. In the sense, this uh, abomination, can it live uh, a human life, uh, a normal life, or shall it be condemned to, to have uh, an abominable life. In fact, the, um, the entire death scene, it's basically an abortion, an abortion scene. Yeah. It's placed like an abortion because the head is crushed last. You know, it's pulled out of the metaphorical womb and then the head is crushed. So I think that was the point more that, about the newborn. The newborn was never meant to uh, actually replace the main alien creature as a threat to Earth. Although technically, I think this is the other thing that gets on a lot of people's nerves. It's like the new design of Daleks, like the old design of Daleks recently. That will set up a lot of Doctor Who <laughs> fandom. In this, you have the newborn literally, you know, whack off the Queen's head. Yeah. And I think... It, uh, it got to a lot of people by them saying, this is what the Queen is effectively being replaced by, design-wise. I think that this... gets to some people when they watch it, too. I don't think it's necessary. I understand the point of view you're yeah. coming from, Xenomorphin. Um, but it's not the intent of the film. Oh, no, film. I get that. I get, I'm just saying that's why it doesn't no, work for me. I, I personally would have... I understand what they were doing with the look, but I would have preferred it have been more grounded in in that alien. I would have preferred to have seen something like the um, the cowless um, original alien with that skull. Well, I was going to say there. I do like that skull look because 
oh, the moment I saw it, I thought to myself, oh, they're going back to that look on the original Alien without the cow. And that, that actually does, I do like that. I know it's never been in a film, but I do like that skull yeah. look at the front of an Alien. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed that. And, and uh, to bring up the unmentionable game again, Colonial Marines, <laughs> um, there was a design for... The Raven. Uh, was it the Raven? But only yeah. half its um, like that. Um, that. That one I, I always quite liked for, for the skull coming out. See, I would have much preferred to have seen more alien proportions in it because all all the concept... I mean, the, the original intent was that it would be somewhat spider-like, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. But then every every other piece of artwork that's you know available is this sort of gangly, pot-belly... Even if it's mildly pot belly, I mean, there was one where it's got moobs. Yes. Um, it's got yeah. both that kind of edge. Because on the yeah. commentary, they say they wanted to be male and female, but also elderly and young at the same time, mm. which I think yeah. that was, it was deliberately to do with age. Again, within context, it suits what was happening. Yeah. It suits it suits the film, but from a just from a purely design sort of aesthetic point of view, it didn't feel right. It didn't sit well within that sort of design ethos, that sort of design. And in fairness, um, it was it, like a like the equivalent of a chest burst, and maybe it would have gone into a cocoon yeah. and looked different when it had emerged from a cocoon, but from a creature design perspective, yeah. And uh, in terms of the rest of it, there's very little I can say that would be different to you guys on that. You know, the, the aliens worked for the film, not necessarily my preferred design. But the digigrade legs I do enjoy and I do like, and no matter the whinging that comes out of that, I'll, I'll always be happy to say that I do like that insectileness and otherworldliness. Well, it, it makes it look less human, so it's like the dorsal yeah. shoot. And also, no, they dorsal. They oh yeah, they were weird yeah, in they this, were weren't they? Like they were floppy. Yeah. Well, they, they were very floppy in the movement as well. You know, whenever they were moving, you could sort of see them <laughs> just jiggling about on the, the back. The action figures had them as like almost semi-horn-like. But, um, yeah. yeah, they changed the whistle tubes. In the backstage features, you can see that they actually rigged the the back tubes with an animatronic function. They could move around uh, on the lathe very weirdly. Uh, the only scene that uh, is really pleasing is when the alien surfaces in the underwater scene, and you can see the tubes moving around. It was originally uh, thought to show it more, but they really couldn't. But in the backstage material, you can see them doing this very weird tentacle-like movement, like some kind of uh, under, uh, undersea uh, creature. It's very interesting. That would have been interesting, yeah. Did they rest, because that, this is always one of the more popular bits, but um, yeah, the underwater scene, did, did people like that? I, I actually really enjoyed that, especially from the movements of the aliens and the challenge that I'm personally scared of drowning. Um, that is the one of the two ways I would never ever like to die, um, the other being fire. Yeah, I, I thought that was probably one of the best scenes in, in that film from an action sort of point of view. I liked how it was that you, you got the, the feeling that the things were swimming through water really well, the water pressure. I like the scene how it played out. But um, here's a challenge for anyone who's listening to this. Try and hold your breath for as long as those characters can for the duration of that scene. Uh, you really cannot do it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked how the scene played out, uh, especially um, 
with the trap at the end, I really yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, I was as thinking well. of um, Hillard's death, Kim Flowers. Yeah, that, that being was pulled one back of those. Into it the... Actually, it, one of the few times where it didn't end in a joke. It was played totally for, mm. and that was another thing where you got part of um, Ripley's, like a reminder, she's not completely human mentally because she just looked back and her head tilted, and she, you could tell she was looking at it. This is a natural process. This is just they take. Um, people mm-hmm. for breeding or food. She didn't have this traumatic breakdown like she did when you got taken. It was just, this is one of my brothers and sisters. It's doing what it needs to do. I'm going on my way again. So I thought that action played really well, that one scene. The hive. We haven't really talked about the, the hive. The nest. Yeah. And, um, and the sort of designs of the resiny bits. You know, it's, it's very different to how we saw it in Aliens. Yeah. Again, I think that was a director's choice. That's... One of the issues for him seems to have been, you know, give it more life. Organics, yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- I was never particularly keen on the 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 colour palette and the sort of design of the hive and the cocoons because, again, it moved away from the otherworldliness, the biomechanical. It moved away from Alien and what it looked like in Aliens. Again, it, it all fits within, again... Oh my god, I keep saying it again. It all fits within the context of that film. Of this um, fleshier appearance, this tainted appearance. But it, it never sat well. never sat right with me. You know, as, as shit as um, Requiem is, I like the hive bits. Because it looks, it looks right to me. Uh, what about you guys? I think it looked too much like... They poured slime onto everything and just let it set as slime. Um, I love the way in Aliens it looked like because it looked like fiberglass resin. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I would agree with you with Requiem as flawed as that film is. I really like how they made the corridors into that hive material because it looked just like out of Aliens. In Resurrection, it was definitely a different aesthetic. It did look like someone had just poured stuff out of a jar and let it just set just no matter how you know viscous it looked there there wasn't the same attention to artistry look at like it looked like a spider webbing actually been secreted from something it didn't have that same look um did it work for the movie though i think it worked for the movie um again with the, genetic the context splicing. again yeah. yeah um did i it... prefer it did i like it no, I preferred the stuff in Aliens. If I remember rightly, though, um, it did sort of look like Giga's original um, artwork for the no, cocoon I, I scene in Alien. No, I think it looked more like Spider Silk. If I again, I, I don't uh, know. They used uh, Giga's work as reference for the Viper's Nest. Yeah. Oh, for the Viper's so Nest. Giga's landscape. I I really did like the uh, hive in Resurrection. Uh, it pretty, pretty much reminded me of uh, David Cronenberg's style. It mm, it, it looked like uh, the the hive is something alive by itself, like it's some kind of symbiotic organism with the aliens because it's continuously pulsating, like it's a it has a life and an intent of its own. If you notice, there there are skeletons in the hive. When you see the newborn approaching Ripley, and there's this shot of I've looked Ripley, for them. I've never found there them. Were, there was there there is a ribcage to her to her right. I need to look. And them. I think there is a skull somewhere too. 
And I always got the impression that the hive was this sort of like a, a fungus, you know, a fungus-like organism that fed off mm. the victims in the hive. You know, what the aliens left was eaten by, by this hive in resurrection. Again, one uh, side product of the um, cloning process, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. I, I thought you meant the cocoons, like the when um, Gediman was imprisoning that kind of like weird stuff. It didn't quite look like the cocoons. Well, no, the viper's nest was an interesting addition because, like as you said, it gave you the idea that maybe it wasn't the aliens secreting it. It's that. Yeah, they've secreted a bit of it, but then it kind of like it it grows on its own. Hey, it's not the aliens exactly. making the nest. It's yeah, scrub. I liked that idea, but um, I every time I watch it, I think to myself, why is there like an actual alien's tail in it? I think they they should have taken the actual alien body parts away and just made it like more of its own living man. There are there are two two alien suits in the scene. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we're about. Done. Um, I do think Ridgetop wanted to talk about the Resurrection game, though. Yeah, just really briefly. Uh, uh, it came out on the PlayStation. It was planned for the PC, but unfortunately it never saw a release on that platform. I thought it was pretty well done. It was very dark and atmospheric, and as, as far as a PS1 games goes, it was it was one of the better shooters on the platform. The main issue with it, though, was just the, the punishing difficulty. It was almost impossible to progress in that game without cheats. Um, and you could definitely get lost in the, in the level design because there was a lot of backtracking through the game. It's still pretty atmospheric, so you know if you've played the AVP games and you like them, I would definitely recommend just checking it out for nostalgia alone. But yeah, I mean, it's it's worthwhile, and you could probably find it for a reasonable price these days, I would think. Especially on eBay. Mm. Were there any differences to the story that ended up on screen, or was it pretty much a straight copy? There were some differences. The, the queen was a boss fight rather than um, than how she went in the film, as well as the the newborn uh, was a boss fight in the in the game. It it wasn't very friendly towards uh, Ripley, who you were playing as, and so you you had to blast it out of the airlock. Did so there were some fight? differences. It, it looked the same. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, they're supposed to be Praetorians in it. Or I think there were. I'm not positive. I I think there were a couple of different alien types, and one of the most frustrating mechanics was if a facehugger would get you, uh, you would have a, a couple minutes until a chestburster came out, and, and in that time you'd have to find a like portable surgery device. Huh. And uh, it was always very difficult that's, to find one. But that's an interesting it mechanic, is. though. If not frustrating from you need more than two minutes, bars, but yeah, interesting yeah. mechanic. Um, well, I also briefly want to talk about the novelization. Um, it. It was one I'd only ever read once when it came out, and Titan have just um, re-released it as they've done all the Alien ones. And I literally finished it the other week. And, you know, we've all been talking about certain elements not working, and a lot of those elements are the visual ones. And as a result, I think the novel works a lot better than the film. I mean, it's, it's still stuck with the source material. You still have some stupid uh, dialogue. Um, Doesn't it go more into and, the telepathic link that Ripley Yeah, and that, that, so what, one of the more interesting things of the book is it really goes into um, the genetic memory of, of the aliens and how Ripley accesses that. So it tends to use a lot of recall. So um, 
she has flashes of memories from the other film. Oh. Uh, from the other films, which are very nice, and they, they really work to sort of develop Anything about it. the space jockey? And, uh, ah, no, not really. It's, it's more in terms of her personal yeah. development. That would have been nice if they did um, do, a, like, a little mm. glimpse into what might have happened on the derelict. I think, cause from what I remember, it's pretty much just a, yeah, it got yeah. blown up um, thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of the Ripley character. It was very interesting how they handled her. Because um, as well as Newt, it also talked about um, Amanda. Oh, right, okay. As well. Um, not in any sort of draft, you know, big detail, but like when... Ripley's witnessing the birth. She's feeling in feeling these pangs of uh, sympathy because of her remembering what, the Queen, uh, Amanda's birth. Oh, yeah. the no, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting um, perspective, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting connections between her and and the aliens in that she sort of perceives herself as an alien warrior. But on the flip side of that, you do have these really bad moments where um, the aliens, from an alien point of view. Where they're able to read English, and they're, yeah, and they're sort of perceiving themselves from some of Ripley's memories I as well. I suppose that which, makes sense, but yeah, it does sound yeah, a bit. Yeah, but it, it doesn't work. Yeah. There's something really odd um, about here them referring to themselves as the perfect organisms oh, and stuff like that. Oh, right. So, yeah, it, it, on one hand, it's, it's like with the film itself, on one hand there's some really interesting stuff in it, and on the other hand, there's some really, uh, yeah, it makes sense, but I don't really like it kind of moments. And I think it really benefits from losing from losing the overacting, yeah. from uh, losing Jeanette's style. But basically, it's, but, it's as the film would have played if it was played straight. Yeah, somewhat. That makes me want to read it now. In in general, I do think that all the novelizations should be read um, of the films because the interesting the interesting bits are, are in the differences. And there can be really genuinely an interesting um, sort of alternative moments, even even if it's simple stuff like um, them exploring the outside of the derelict in in Alien and turning off the beacon, mm. and uh, the backstory of um, the facility on um, Fury One Six One, and it made the some of the backstory presented in that made the film make a bit more sense to me. And those differences are worth picking those novels up to have a peek over, especially with how easy they are to get. I noticed in the commentary they actually said that they had to, they did like one or more rehearsals, which was just reading through the script, and then they had to do a completely separate one where it's like to understand the story, because even Sigourney Weaver and Janine, they didn't actually understand the story that they were reading out the script to. I kind of need to rewatch it with the commentary. You know to 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 wrap it up, I say I I don't watch Resurrection very often. I don't think I've ever watched the Blu-ray cut of it and uh, the 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 Blu-ray edition of it until the other week. So it's been that long since I've watched it. And you know, having having gone back and read the behind-the-scenes stuff and watched the features and having read the book recently, there's a lot of stuff that makes sense within it. But it doesn't quite work for me, which makes me still consider the, the consider the film not appropriate for Alien. Yeah. So you know, if if you guys want to just leave some last comments, and then we'll and we'll uh, finish up. Uh, I think I got used to Alien Resurrection. It's like that family member you get to 
uh, no, over a period of time. You know, you don't like him at first, but then he has suddenly something that you discover um, is very interesting about it. I love the effects, I love ADI's work, I love um, Weaver's performance, uh, Winona Ryder, also the soundtrack. Uh, I've learned to love it the way it is, same way I did with Daddy and Tree. I think, you know, I think it earns its place in the franchise. It's obviously far from the best film, but I mean, you have the Alien, which is terrifying, and Aliens, which is action-packed, and Alien 3, which is dramatic, and Alien Resurrection, which is just weird and kind of fun. Um, but I think, you know, other sequels that have gotten to 4 have been much worse. So I think mm-hmm. it's, as far as an Alien film goes, it might not work entirely, but I do think that it does enough with the franchise and it adds enough new things that, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll respect it as, as an Alien film, even if it's far from the best one. Yeah, um, it, it's certainly not up to par of the first two. Um, like Prometheus, it's a film which I think if they'd have taken certain bits out of, it would work better as its own film rather than being part of the series because it's always going to be compared with the first two. Um, but again, I, I, it's on a par with Alien 3 for me. There are parts which don't work well. There are parts which do work really well. And I think, honestly, quality-wise, they kind of they complement one another. But, yeah, the, it gets more stick than it should. But... Um, Again, yeah, it's it's worth a look into if you you know you haven't seen it for two or three years because there are those little hidden gems in it which they do make you appreciate it more than if you're just thinking oh Alien Resurrection you know it's that full film I didn't like it as much as the others so yeah it's again it doesn't quite work as part of the series again when you're comparing them but as a film yeah if it wasn't for those little over the top attempts at humor <laughs> if it was played straight i think it would be a much better film than it is i think in light of um, a film like terminator 3 i think that suffers from the same kind of thing but yeah it gets more criticism than it should well uh, thank you everybody for listening i think this has uh, been our longest uh, podcast so far <laughs> Uh, with a few technical difficulties along the way that hopefully you won't notice because darkness has smoothed them over so Thank well. Thank you, darkness. So, thanks for tuning in. Uh, tune in again uh, next time. Um, any any comments, um, any suggestions, uh, anything in general that you'd just like to let us know about the podcast, feel free to leave uh, comments on the website or uh, or on Facebook or email. Email me, uh, corporalhicks at avpgalaxy.net and uh, well, that's that then. This is, uh, this is Corporal Hicks. And this is Rich Top. Say no more thing. I'm a gazilla. See you next time.